Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and reconnoitering this room with me are my newbie co-hosts, Daryl, Matt, and Mel. <laughs> and we are a bunch of Hoopleheads. And coming along with this uh, journey to the rim is our special guest. Please welcome Nuchas. Hello, everyone. And congrats to Matt for saying it correctly. He gets uh-huh. a gold star. I've heard your name on enough podcasts that I, I think I got it. It's yeah. still tricky. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably just call you Nutty from now on. It's That's fine. It's a lot easier. It, it rolls off the tongue easier. So why don't you tell us about your experience with the show? Okay, so um, Deadwood's one of those things that people were constantly telling me about, and I'm like, eh, it's a Western. Meh, not really into it. I mean, you know, it's no uh, Silverado or Blazing Saddles, so I'm not really interested. And uh, then Matt was going to do the intro cast, and I'm like, yeah, maybe, we'll see. If it shows up on Netflix, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, it, it, this almost sounds a little sad, but uh, with uh, Bob's passing, Bob DeGrand, uh Matt had told me how Bob was going to be a newbie listening along. And so I said, well, I guess I will take up that mantle and I will fill in those steps and I will, I will be the newbie for Bob. And, uh, then I watched the first episode and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him my first, my feedback for the first episode. And then I think like the next night or maybe even the same night, I can't remember. Uh, I sent in feedback for the next episode. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, wow, okay. She yeah. she must like the show. <laughs> and that's quite a range that you have there. Blazing Saddle, Silverado, and Deadwood. Yeah. <laughs> as your examples of westerns. Yeah. Well and but, Firefly. Let's not forget about Firefly. Yeah. But I'm glad you decided to take up the mantle of newbie. That's that was nice of you. Yeah. yeah. Glad to have you along. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was the kick in the pants I needed. And I actually go out of my way to watch this now because I use uh what is it? Ola. Uh, it's a Chrome plugin so that I can watch on Amazon Prime because there is no Amazon Prime for video in Canada. So oh. I'm telling them I'm in the US so I can watch it on Amazon Prime. Nice. Oh, very good. It's you- not, it's not bad because it's being paid for with a US account. Like it, mm-hmm. it, I don't understand why if I pay with US money, I can't mm-hmm. view digital content. Because I can through the iTunes store. If I buy something that's only available on the U.S. iTunes store and I pay with a U.S. account, I can watch it and there's no problem. But Amazon just won't. It's, they won't do it. It's simply because we're inferior, dirty Canadians. Oh, must be. <laughs> or they want because they try. If you you can have one uh, Amazon account uh, for Amazon.com and Amazon.ca, but Prime only affects one of those. They hmm. want to charge us both. Oh. That's why. That's weird. It is weird. I'm, I'm sure it's a licensing issue. Yeah. Probably like, like how DVDs had territories. <sighs> yeah. We share territories. <laughs> yeah, we get all the Region 1 DVDs yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's it works. It's silly. I don't agree with it, so I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. It's being no. paid for. I don't yep. think I'm doing anything wrong either, but... Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't pay to advertise. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, except Ola's a really good plug-in. It's quite good. stable. You said that you and Bob have mm. similar tastes, and you thought that if you liked the show, he would like the show. Agreed. So you think Bob would have been pleased to continue? Um, I think I think Bob would have been interested. I think Bob definitely would. Uh, he'd like the same character. Well, he he would like Jane, like I do. I think, and I just would love to hear what Bob has to say about all these cocksuckers. I mean, it's just <laughs> <laughs> it would be. 
I, I'm not sure we have the same exact interpretation of the show, but there are certain times and certain characters where I'm like, mm, yeah, he'd like that. Or mm, he'd have something to say about that. <laughs> well, I know he was a Buffy fan and an Orphan Black fan, and both of those programs have very strong female characters. Oh, he characters, loves strong female characters. Yeah, female yeah. characters with a point of view and mm-hmm. their own um, momentum and perspective. Yep. And I, we gotta, we meet another female, great female character this episode, Joni. But I think at this point, a lot of people really respond to Jane. So you would say that that's your favorite character so far? So far, yeah. And and uh, Jim Beaver's character. I like him too. But Ellsworth. J- Jane is number one. Based Ellsworth, on, yes. Based on the events of this episode, I'm expecting things to change for Alma and for things to get more intense. And I hope she uh, handles mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Interesting that we're talking about strong female characters because it is International Women's Day today. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. right. <laughs> so very timely. <laughs> I keep forgetting because I did a a presentation on Friday for International Women's Day. Oh yeah, because they, you know, they uh, with my Aikido club. It was me and the fifth Dan Sensei, and we went and we did a demonstration and we talked to them. And yeah, I was invited as a uh, well. We're doing a, a demonstration for International Women's Day, and you're an international woman. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was a really great honor and it was a it was a really positive experience. I had fun with that. Oh, that's fantastic. Not not yeah. to go topic nutty, but we used to be in Aikido too. Mm. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. Aikikai or Yoshinkan? Mm. I think it was Yoshinkan. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Me too. Very very long, but mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, it, it was fun, yeah. So in our next installment of Hooplecast Readers Theater, we have an article here read by Claire and it's about candy. I like candy. Mm. Why they take from the Black Hills Daily Times, September 25th, 1877, originally printed in the Detroit Free Press. Most of the excursionists from the interior bring up in a candy store sooner or later after reaching the city, and the variety of tastes manifested by their inquiries astonishes the confectioners. A girl with a great many pink ribbons leaned over the counter the other day and gently asked, Have you any big sticks hot candy scented up with hotter half roses? He hadn't, and after expressing her deep disappointment, she bought licorice and was made comparatively happy. A young man who had left his girl on the corner brusquely inquired, Got any hunks out of Santa hunk? <laughs> the confectioner didn't deal in hunks, and the customer continued, well, give me something that'll stick to the teeth and chop slow. I'm a little short today, and I got Charles straws while married Charles Candy. What? The third one was a woman about 40, wearing bow catchers and trying to look like a girl of 18. She <laughs> smiled and smirked and whispered, Ew. Have you any of these little log flat pieces of candy with red printing on them? He had. And I can select out such as I want such as a young lady of respectable character might venture to pass to, to the object of her affections. But she was given the opportunity, and the confectioner turned to wait on an old couple of 60 years old. We'll take some peppermint candy, observed the husband. You and me will take some sassafras, the wife contested. I know what we want, I guess, and I say we'll take the peppermint. And I say sassafras, I say pep. And I say sass. <laughs> they went on without taking either, 
and a block further down the street, they compromised on a California pear and a pint of peanuts. What? <laughs> that was, that was amazing. Like the local gossip column. <laughs> I love you, Claire. That was awesome. So is this something that happened in Deadwood? Or is it just a... I it, think it's just printed. a sort of a slice of the times, a kind of... <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, seen, I hope there's not that many kids any, in Deadwood. <laughs> candy stores. Yeah. Yet. Yet. I guess you could you could kind of think of a whorehouse as a candy store. <laughs> it's a different kind. Mm-hmm. We go there. <laughs> <laughs> like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> oh, I love the word sassafras. Yeah, that's pretty I love great. it when Claire says sassafras. <laughs> sassafras. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. No, what is it? Do you know what sassafras is? No. Nope. It's a it's a leaf. Um it yeah. looks like a three-fingered hand, and there's actually like three different styles of leaves, but that's the most distinct for me. And you take it, if you take it and you rub it between your hands, it smells really good. Um, you can make tea out of it, and you can make honey out of it. So a lot like a dried peppermint can make candies, you can use sassafras to make candy, uh, you can make sodas and things like that with it as well. What hmm. does it taste like? I've never actually eaten it, but if it tastes no. anything like it smells... Um, somewhere between like tea and like something sweet. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I always used to just pick a leaf off when I was walking down the street and I'd rub it between my hands because it just smelled so good. (laughs) What is, what is also, what is a hunk? Is that just a measurement of a candy? It's gotta be just a, probably, you know, like when you're getting like, um, peppermint bark or chocolate bark, Uh, just a hunk of something. Hunk. Yeah. Yeah. It oh makes God. me makes me picture like a giant ball of just non-specific candy, and the guy just like <laughs> puts his whole hand into it with his fingers and rips the hunk out, and then, there you go. Well, <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think like most candy of the day would have been sold. Like, have you guys ever seen like peanut brittle and stuff? Yeah. yeah. So what they do is when they make it, they lay it in like a big baking sheet, and then you break it up into sections. Mm-hmm. So there's no exact measurements. It's just here's a hunk, there's a hunk, whatever. So I'm thinking most candy was done in that style. So it like they weren't rolled the into nice little balls. Or it wasn't sold by the weight or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Who's, who's, who's got money for a scale? I mean, they can't even count, let alone use a scale. <laughs> they can't even read, barely. <laughs> oh. At the time, it, at the time, there may have been like a specific candy. I agree with you what you're saying, but the hunk. At the yeah. time, locally, there may have been a specific candy that was sold that way that, you know, mm. was called that, but it could have been a very localized sort of thing. I mean, have any of you ever been to like the old penny candy counters or anything mm-hmm. where they had the jars of just stuff? We had one when I was a little kid down by the dentist's office, actually. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Gives the dentist more business. They're working together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's an ironic candy store. <laughs> they have a penny candy style in like bulk barns, you know, all the yeah. uh, sticks of candy and stuff like that. The candy store beside the uh, dentist's office reminds me of the place we have out on the east side of St. John. Uh, it's a Harvey's burger joint right beside a Weight Watchers. Oh, jeez. <laughs> They're in the same building. Like it's a building for two businesses. <laughs> it's Harvey's and Weight Watchers. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <laughs> 
Harvey's is the worst too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great piece. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Um, and thank you, Claire, for reading Claire. it. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Claire, for reading it. Thanks, Matt, for finding it. <laughs> that was just a lucky one, actually, because uh, the article the article I was actually going for that happened to appear on the same page, so I got that one as a freebie. <laughs> oh, neat! And I thought Bonus. that was just very humorous. It is. Sorry, I like I like how the old couple got ended up just getting like one single pair. Yep. <laughs> and, like peanuts. And peanuts. <laughs> so random. Uh, in perfume floating in a man's hat. This is episode three, Reconnoitering the Rim, written by Jody Wirth, directed by Davis Guggenheim, original air date, April 4th, 2004. It's daytime, and we open with Ellsworth working his claim. He's teasing his dog about its pitiful pursuit of a woodchuck. Oh, the dog was adorable. <laughs> the dog was really cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's when you know you've been out there too long. When, you start when you're talking just in, talking to your dog all the time. your dog, in a conversational style, really. People talk. People talk to their pets, but they don't, you know, have conversations with their pets. Well, I have conversations, but I don't usually shame them into different stories about what's going to happen with the their prey going off and telling stories to other, you know, prey. Oh, dog shaming. Yeah, but you see to... people. <laughs> dog shaming. Dog shaming is the best. Dog way. shaming. Uh, At least he doesn't think that the dog talks back the way Briscoe thinks Comet talks back. <laughs> Hey, Briscoe, I mean, Comet does talk back. <laughs> the, dog, the dog shaming seemed to work because he really, the poor dog was ashamed to see other people. Yeah. <laughs> he hid. Yes. Yeah, he hid, you know. Yeah. Ellsworth is operating a sluice, which is a, a box with barriers along the bottom that traps gold as the water rushes through, cleaning the rocks. Similar to the uh, portable rocker box or placer cradle operates on the same basic principle. You put the rocks in the top of the box, you pour water through, and you just shake it and sift it until the gold comes out the bottom, gets trapped in like a, a filter. Seems way easier than panning. Yes. Both of these are uh, superior methods to panning by hand. I still find this guy is a pretty hard worker because he's always at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they had to be. And yeah. he has had some success, right? He's come in, in the first episode, didn't he come in with some gold? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just yeah, enough. He, yeah, yeah, just and, enough. Yeah, he's he's not particularly interested in getting rich and going elsewhere. He just wants enough to deal with his vices day to day. He seems to live on the on the claim as well, because later we see him like in a tent, mm -hmm. and, he, and he's there at night when Brahm and Dan mm -hmm. show up. I think we talked about how the longer you leave your claim, the more likely it is to be taken over by somebody else. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, sense. Mm -hmm. They don't really have any property laws as, as such. So this is when Dan, Dan Doherty shows up. He's inquiring about the great prospector, and Ellsworth supposes that Brahm's enthusiasm is on the wane. Yeah. Anyone have any other notes on this 
little exchange? Favorite parts, the dog. Yeah. You love the dog. <laughs> the dog yeah, is the dog's adorable. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the dog in future things. I hope nothing bad happens to the dog. I wonder if that was Ellsworth's dog for, or if it was Tim Driscoll's dog. Maybe mm. Ellsworth found the dog and kind of adopted it. Yeah. In the transcript, it said new dog. Mm. So I don't know what that meant. Like, I was like, new dog? Where did the dog come from? From the pet store in Deadwood. <laughs> <laughs> Ellsworth seemed to know the dog pretty well. I mean, he said something to the dog, like, basically, didn't he say something like, here comes somebody, and dog hid real soon, real fast, and then when the guy left, it was like, okay. He's gone. Came. So he's gone or something. So, you know, it seemed like they knew each other pretty well. At the graveyard... On the outskirts of the camp, the Reverend is leading Tom Mason's funeral service. At least I presume it's Tom Mason's funeral. Yeah. Merrick has a sneezing fit. Very, very <laughs> funny. And Seth spots Jane and Charlie carrying the squarehead girl back into camp. So they had tried to leave with her last time, right? But she got sick and they had to come back? Is that it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. She said something about it, her being wolf bit. Yeah. Well, I think that was in the... First in, episode. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Took, but took ill... Yeah, because this of, is only, it's only like day three. Yeah. 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 So everything is, time here is very compressed. Yeah. yeah. And she's, it's, I mean, it seemed like she, she said something about the, you know, worry about infection with the wolf bite. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, I mean, they would also probably be worried about rabies and anything else that she might have gotten. Yeah. What was it? What was the sneezing fit about? Is he allergic to the Bible? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 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 I just think it was dusty. I don't yeah. know. It looked well, like there the, was a bit of wind, yeah. Yeah, it just looked like very dusty okay. and dry. I was like, it's either he's allergic to the Bible or dead bodies, but it couldn't be the dead body because he helped bury it and his sneezing had stopped by then, so it must I be the Bible. I think he's just allergic to the preacher. <laughs> or the preacher the himself. The preacher opening his mouth and talking incessantly. <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed like the preacher was uh, talking directly to Seth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this the second funeral yep. Yep. that yeah. we've seen? Yeah, the Reverend loves his funerals. And uh, Se it's my Seth time to shine. Yeah. He thrives on them. <laughs> and Seth keeps coming to them, so I can see why he's, you know, intense. And he's like, "Ooh, he's interested. Maybe I can, you know, get him." <laughs> and uh, what's his friend's name? Saul. Saul. Yeah. So Seth, Saul, and the Reverend are there again. Who's watching the tent? Mm -hmm. exactly. That's all that went through my head when I watched it. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe they like found somebody that they, somebody else they can trust for a few minutes. I hope so. I feel like if Seth wants to like stop being preached at and stop, you know, being bored by the Reverend's sermons, he just needs to stop being such a good guy <laughs> <laughs> and just start going to that whorehouse already. Come on. <laughs> well, and it's like, why is Seth even at this funeral? He didn't shoot the guy. He didn't know yeah. the guy. Yeah. I guess I he just has a hard time saying no when the Reverend yeah. asks. Just too nice. Well, the Reverend watches his stuff, so, you know. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's an exchange. I think he also has a certain sense of, of decorum, mm. how things yeah. should be done in certain areas of life. And he he's kind of dealt with death a lot. Mm. So, you know, as somebody who has upheld the law and and basically killed people in the name of the law, he may have a certain feeling for how how things should be done and that there should be people at a funeral and you no, know, yep. That kind of thing. But he's only considered up to a certain point because he shoots the Reverend a look like shut up now. 
<laughs> Shut the fuck up now, please. Because like, Reverend's just going on and on, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's time to time to end this. He doesn't yeah. have to like it. No, <laughs> he just has to be there, kind of like <laughs> going to church for a lot of people, you know? Like, yeah, that's true. And the Reverend sees his look and is like, um, "Okay, I'll stop now. <laughs> I, I've stop. had my fun. I'll stop." <laughs> This is when Merrick asks Seth if he wants to talk about this gunfight. And Seth says, no, I don't want to talk about this one. Oh, you don't want to talk about this one either? Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I'll just have to make something up. <laughs> this may be a good time to introduce our new segment, Timothy Oliphant, good actor or bad actor? Nunny, what do you think? <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have much to judge. He's just Mr. Grumpy right now. All right, fair enough. No, no. <laughs> From his bedroom, Al watches stagecoaches coming into camp. Fancy ladies carrying umbrellas. They're waving to men, blowing kisses, maybe. One of the wagons says, craps. And then a sign goes up on the building opposite the gem. The Bella Union Saloon. I just really liked... Uh, we, we had the subtitles on again, but I really liked in the subtitles and the shot at the same time. It pans down from the sermon or whatever... And a, you you hear like a Bible passage or something, and then it pans down, and and the, uh, the wagon train comes into view, and and you get some like cat calls and stuff. It just goes <laughs> from sermon to cat calls as you pan down. It's pretty pretty cool. That's pretty funny. It looked like the circus to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I thought it was at first. Getting a carnival crossover already. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> When's the elephant gonna show up? <laughs> In my one of my books, I think it's Old Deadwood Days. The it's, this is the book that's written by the by a girl who grew up in Deadwood, and she always said that when the coaches came to town, it was the biggest event, and you always wanted to be there to see who was showing up to camp. Mm. Yeah, I guess there's not much else new and exciting happening there usually. So rocks, 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 fleck of gold, rocks, 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 fleck of gold. <laughs> oh, hey, a stagecoach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go gawk. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's another reverend. Ah, oh, that's okay. <laughs> Give us something to do today. <laughs> yeah, pretty much anything I've ever read about the West, that was that was the big, big event. Whether it was, you know, later on with the train coming through or a stagecoach coming through or a delivery of any kind. Anything new coming into camp was just huge mm-hmm. in any of those places. So in the thoroughfare, E.B. tells Al that the Bella Union people bought Artie Simpson's place on the sly. Is this somebody we've seen before? No, we haven't. Okay. At but... first I thought it was the other the other saloon guy where uh, Wild Bill goes. I thought he was leaving. I oh, thought he sold his place, but nope. No, this, was, this uh, used to be a hotel. Okay. And Artie Simpson, he uh, has acquired some armed escort because he knows Al's mind. Yeah. It's a good idea. Very good idea. I, I was thinking he should have left last night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he probably had to wait till the new owners sh- showed up so he could hand them the keys. Yeah. Get the well, last he's probably of his trying money. to leave while Al was asleep, and usually Al sleeps in the day, so he just got out of There you go. <laughs> yeah, actually, if, the nighttime's more dangerous with Al. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. if the stagecoaches hadn't come in all hooting and hollering. Yeah. Mm. yeah that's true. But he probably also needed his money. That yeah. It was a cash time of, you know. But There's no cashier's check or wire transfers. PayPal. <laughs> how many gunmen, how many rifles he had around him as he left? Yeah, he had a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't even count him. He accused Al right in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you he know? told him out. I don't think many people are under uh, the delusion of Al being a nice guy or anything, so everybody's pretty aware of what he is, despite him trying to do it on the sly. <laughs> Unless you're new and from New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Saul Star approaches Al. He wants to know if he can purchase the lot, but he, he realizes that this is not a good time to to speak to Al about this matter. Al, Al's not in a good mood right now. Yeah. That's what Al gets for wearing dirty pajamas all the time, though. <laughs> Competition. You deserve it, Al. How can you not wake up grumpy if you're in dirty PJs, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't. I don't know. He's. I don't think he's ever taken a bath that we've seen. Gross. <laughs> well, we see him. He has some grooming later. Oh yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I. I'd, I'd say that uh, it's more. He deserves a competition for having all his employees wearing dirty underwear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, all the murders and mayhem and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Al only takes smoke baths. <laughs> <laughs> Bathing was not a big thing in that. What that place must have smelled like, I, I'm so glad there's not like, you know, Smell-o-vision. And, and he complains yeah, about the smell of a fart later on, and he never bathes. <laughs> yeah, but you know, some people, they got some vile, vile bowels. I mean... I feel like the body odor would cover the fart smell, but I don't know. <laughs> no, sadly no. <laughs> At the number 10 saloon, the boys are playing poker as usual. Jack teases Bill about his losing streak, and this is when Bill puts up his Colts, and then draws his second Colt in a fashion that makes Jack flinch. Mm-hmm. But Bill wins this hand. He has a pot to the club flush. Mm-hmm. I don't play poker, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right there. laughs> um, Good for you, Bill. <laughs> we'll, tr- we'll trust that you won. Um, is there nobody else in this town to play poker with besides the, the same... Dudes all the time. Dude, same... Four dudes. Well, that, maybe they're the only ones who play poker in the morning. Maybe. Well, I know that I know that a flush is when it's um, all the same suit. I don't know where it stands on the scale, but aren't they? Are they playing? They don't say what kind of poker that they're playing, right? Right. So it could be a uh, it could be specific to their game. Like they said something about not Pharaoh something one of the games that they run, and I yeah. wondered if that was a kind of poker. They've said different names, uh, different kinds of poker at different times, so I don't, not sure which kind they were playing right then. I, I didn't look closely enough. Did they have five cards in their hand? Holding five cards in their hand? Cause it was just I straight. I didn't take any notice of it. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. He won. Yeah. Yeah. He finally won a hand. So, Jane and Charlie have brought the girls to Doc. She has a fever from having been wolf bit a couple nights before. Doc tells them that Al is no longer a threat, as he took a different approach to the problem. Charlie suggests that they take the girl to the hotel, but Jane says the hotel doesn't want her. Why wouldn't they want her? I that's the, that's something that I didn't understand. Like, Yeah, what's he have against Jane? Yeah. Well, he does, when she's headed up the stairs, he says that he's heard stories about her, and that he doesn't want things broken up, I think. Something to that effect. Oh, so he thinks that she vandalized the place or something? I think that she gets into fights and... Mm. Well, who doesn't? Like, most people in Deadwood do. Yeah, mm. but she's a woman. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, like when we're in the doctor's office, I was thinking, okay, this is more in her head. Like she's just expecting a fight everywhere she goes and it's not that big of a deal. And then um, when she's actually dealing with the hotel owner and there is more of a big deal, I was like, wait a minute. And then I realized, okay, wait, she's an unmarried woman trying to check into a hotel and there's only one thing that unmarried women do in the West and that's sell their bodies. So is it have something to do with that? Or is it the fact that she's not good enough to be a whore? Like, is she less than a whore? Like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm looking through the transcript to see what his specific words were about Good. Because he does say something as, as she's going up the stairs after he's let her in. But I had assumed it was because... She's in that netherworld, like you're talking about, where she's a single woman who dresses like a man, which is fairly scandalous at the time. She's not really beholden to anybody, which also is not what woman's place was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she is not she's a threat socially. Right. It may also be that E.B. simply enjoys exerting a kind of influence over people, and mm. he's, mm-hmm. he feels like it's safe for him to reject her. Mm-hmm. It gives right. him a little bit of a power trip. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. What he says is, I've heard the stories, madam. I'll tell you that at Flagfall, you're here on sufferance. And then I googled what Flagfall means, and apparently it's the minimum... Charge for hiring a taxi in Australia, so I I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, well, flagfall. Maybe it's referencing when you're supposed to take down the American flag at night if there's no light on it. Right. So maybe he's oh, okay. saying that she gets rowdy at at nighttime. Oh, okay. Well, she does drink. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she's a woman. She drinks. She drinks. She's Ooh. unmarried. She's all on her own. Ah, Jezebel. Bill, Bill had indicated that that she is, you know, gets into fights and is dangerous because mm-hmm. that first episode when she was going to go out and I don't get remember, a whiskey, yeah, yeah, she was going and he said, "I don't, I don't want anybody hurt. I know how yeah. you go out and look for stuff. I don't want anybody hurt." Yeah. So. Although you know, if if she were a guy doing it the same way. I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be such a big deal. Oh, absolutely. You know, especially in that day and age. If somebody like went, give me that whiskey and hit somebody over the head for it, people will go, okay, well, if this person asks me for whiskey, I'm going to give them whiskey. Whereas if it's a woman, it's like, oh man, that woman, she took my whiskey. This is a problem. Yeah. And how so. dare she? And I mean, there was, women weren't allowed to own property uh, in a lot of states. They weren't, mm-hmm. they had to have their husband's permission even fairly recently, they had in some of those particular yeah. states out west, they had to have their husband's permission to sell property they inherited. To yep, uh, I think if I recall correctly, if if you had a homesteader's claim and your husband passed, or you know, a woman couldn't get one on her own, and the husband owned it, and if the husband passed and didn't have any male heirs, you lost the claim. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Yeah, so. They're- happy International Women's Day! <laughs> yeah, Happy International Women's Day. Although I did, I did learn recently that Martha Washington had a lot of stuff, including slaves, that George Washington could not sell or let go because they were hers. 
so that the, there is a bit of niceness in that. Well, it sounds weird to say niceness when it comes to slavery, but uh, <laughs> there, that, there is, that was a weird sentence. Not yeah, even. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does show that um, there were ways to set women up. Uh, so if you gave a woman an inheritance, not only could her husband not sell it or do anything with it, she couldn't either. She had to uh, keep that income. She had to keep the assets and everything. So you could set someone up. It also it, depended on the state. Yeah, that too. And, and the time period, because in yeah. bizarre ways, you've gone through periods where things were looser mm-hmm. and and then they got tighter and they got right. as as uh, states started putting in more laws and stuff, they started making things more difficult for for women, for uh, people of color, things like that. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, like, there's all sorts of stuff about free black men and women up in the north who were born free, were always free, and could do all this stuff. And then they put laws into effect. Because, you know, the South was like, well, all our slaves are up there. And the only reason why there's anybody black up there is because they used to be a slave. And suddenly they started losing their rights and losing their right to property and mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah, there were Absolutely. women. Uh, there were women apparently voting and such in some states in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. But uh, then in the 1800s, things got much stricter. Mm. It's it's uh, an interesting situation. It is crazy. I love having Carol on this podcast, by the way. Get all this good history bits. <laughs> I, I try not to be too boring, but. Oh, it's not boring. I think at it's all. fascinating. I wish my history class in high school was as interesting as was taught this kind of history mm. and framed it in such a way that it was entertaining. A lot of kids don't like history class and yeah. it's because they make it so dry and take out the more controversial elements. It's yep. actually what, what makes it fascinating yeah. yeah i had to wait for university to to get history that was entertaining and uh i had this this little nun professor who oh my goodness like everything she taught you were riveted absolutely riveted and you had already learned some of this stuff in high school and grade school but suddenly you're learning all the controversial stuff and you're learning what the personalities of the different char- characters, sorry, uh, the different historical figures were. And it was fascinating. And I remember thinking, why don't they teach it like this in, in public school? I don't understand. You know, why, why in grade school and high school can it not be interesting? I must admit, I, I do have a bit of fun in, I have uh, fourth graders. Um, I have fourth and fifth graders and I mostly teach um, language arts. Well, I'm an ESL teacher, so but I'm in language arts a lot. And you have a lot more leeway when you get into historical subjects in language arts than you do in history. Yes. So, and you or, get a little more leeway when you're teaching English as a second language, I found, too. Or at least in my experience, we were able to really go outside of the box with them. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm in the regular classroom with the kids. Um, ah. So I'm pushing into the classroom, but uh, most of, honestly, most of the kids in the class have been ESL students in the past. They've just, uh, we have a very high percentage of second language learners or third language learners or fourth language learners. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. In the spirit of International Women's Day, I encourage everyone to try and track down a copy of the HBO film, original film Iron Jawed Angels, which is about the women's suffrage movement. 
It stars Hilary Swank and Frances O'Connor, and one of our Deadwood actresses, Molly Parker, has a part in that as well. That's Iron Jawed Angels? Iron Jawed Angels. It's fantastic. Maybe you could uh, put that on the the Facebook page or somewhere. Oh, certainly. Iron Jawed Angels. Sounds I'm like writing a, that down. That sounds good. Sounds like a boxing movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it shows what the, the women had to go through in order to secure the vote. Yeah, there's some documentaries about that, and I don't know what the one name was that was so good, and I wish I wish I did, and it really, really dealt with uh, a lot of what was going on in the 1800s specifically, um, leading up to the Civil War and, and just after the Civil War. Let's get back to the episode, mm-hmm. and we'll skip ahead just a little bit to talk about when Wild Bill comes into the hotel, since yes. we're, we're talking about Jane and interacting with E.B., E.B. has an issue with allowing Charlie to give his room over to Jane because he says, if you're vacating the room, I've got a, I've got a list of people who want a, a hotel room ever since the Simpson Hotel shut down. And there's this shot of a bunch of men just kind of bored sitting outside. I guess mm-hmm. those are the guys waiting for a room. Yep. But Charlie says, okay, what if I stay where I am? And Jane just moves in with Bill. And E.B. says, well, that raises issues of decorum. And Bill says, with whom? Nobody of consequence, I suppose. (laughs) Well, but it's Bill that suggests it. It's Bill that suggests it. And Jane has this gigantic (laughs) smile in her face. I love, I love this look. Oh, she can't even talk and she's just blushing and grinning. And I'm like, oh. She puts, she kind of buries her face Mm -hmm. in the little girl's like blanket so no one can see. But she is so in love with that guy. I have a quote here from Robin, Robin Weigert. Jane has an extraordinary generosity of spirit under all of this crazy artificial toughness and everything else. She is cut loose in a world where it's totally unsafe to be a woman or just be a person. While Bill Hickok represented some form of ideal for Jane, she was in love with him, I suppose, but it's more on the level of hero worship or a Doris Day movie. There is an endowing of him with properties that are outside of this world almost. When she looks up at Bill, her whole veneer just drops away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was nice to or it was funny to watch her try not to squee. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. She's so yeah. cute. I love her. We should take note that at the top of the stairs, Brahm is watching this a little exchange mm-hmm. at the hotel. Before that that scene happened, there was a brief scene in the thoroughfare where the Reverend tells Seth that he used to be a field nurse during the Civil War at Shiloh and Second Manassas, and that's when he got his calling. The Battle of Shiloh, which took place in 1862 in Tennessee, 13,000 Union soldiers were killed, and 10,700 Confederates were killed. Just uh, Amazing, the numbers. Yeah. And then the second Battle of Bull Run, which is in Manassas, Virginia, it's also called Second Manassas. This is where almost 14,000 Union soldiers were killed and over 8,000 Confederates were killed. So I'm just imagining the kind of carnage that he saw. And the Doctor as well. Two characters just scarred by the Civil War. And and you figure that, I don't know whether those figures are just battle battle figures, but they always say that there was a, a huge number more of... Uh, more deaths from infection of wounds and and mm-hmm. illness than there were on the battlefield. So uh, the no- the sheer numbers of people that died in the Civil War just always just appalls me and overwhelm. It's overwhelming. It is still to How- date the uh, war that 
the most Americans have died in? When I was a kid, they used to say that more Americans died in the Civil War than all other wars combined that we had fought mm -hmm. in. And I think that might have been surpassed sometime in either Vietnam or more recently, but I'm not sure. Mm. Well, it's certainly not surprising since Americans were on both sides of the exactly, war. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's what did it. But yeah. also the sheer numbers of the, you know. I know there were huge battlefield losses because they were, they were still doing this thing of charging across open, um, open areas into lines of musket fire and, and such and just, you know, being mowed down. They were still doing that nonsense. And, uh, you know, with the idea that sheer numbers, if you throw enough people at a hill or something, um, you know, you can just overwhelm them. Most of them will die, but you'll get, get over the, you know, the, the hill or something. And so people were just being mowed down on the battlefield. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy that battles used to be fought, you know, standing in a line in bright red uniforms or well, not in the yeah. case of the Civil War, but the British at least, <laughs> the bright red uniforms. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Well, I remember, um, in my university history class, I remember learning how in some of the first battles, uh, people came to spectate the mm -hmm. battles and they mm -hmm. brought picnic lunches and, and oh. they thought it was going to be a great event. And then they saw it and were obviously horrified because, oh my gosh, this is not what we thought mm -hmm. war was. Yep. Yeah. They, they talk about, uh, people coming from DC and, uh, because some of the battles in Virginia and, and um all that yeah yep, yep. <laughs> worst picnic ever yes worst <laughs> picnic ever <laughs> and a lot of i mean a lot of what happened out west after the civil war had so much to do with with what went on during the civil war because so mm. many there were so many different factions and, and there were um crazy militia and stuff that were operating during the uh, during the civil war that were just totally lawless. And then you let all of these people, some people were just so scarred by the war and other people were, had pretty much lost all morality. And some people had just found God, just like this guy. So you yeah. let all of these people just were like, okay, let's go West now. Yeah. And how many people went from fighting in the civil war to fighting, uh, Indians? Oh yeah. And were surprised that these atrocities happened, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of, the army had been fighting Indians before the Civil War, then they were all taken away, a lot of them were taken away from the West, and then were in the Civil War, and then they went right back out and brought everything that they'd been dealing with in the Civil War out to the, out to the Indians again. Yep. What is it called when a soldier goes AWOL? Going AWOL? Yeah. No, no, there's a name for it. Uh, dereliction of duty, maybe? Desertion? Desertion, yeah. Desertion. Uh, a lot of soldiers deserted the army to go, to go gold panning, mm. to go mining. Yeah. My great-grandfather was a deserter in the Boers Wars. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Twice. Pop quiz. Pop quiz, what does uh, AWOL stand for? You just are not allowed to answer. Oh. Uh, leave. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you could stump Carol. Yeah. <laughs> Did I stump you? What does snafu stand for? Oh, shoot. 
Um, something, something, something fucked up. <laughs> I don't know. Yes? But what's the first two? Anybody? Anybody? Um, I know this. S- situation, yes. perhaps? Situation, situation non... N- no? Situation normal. All normal. All fucked up. Yep. Ah, uh, that's it. Okay. I know, I know Fubar. <laughs> yeah, I knew that one. Yeah. Well, in this uh, little scene, Saul approaches Seth and tells Seth that he didn't feel like time was right to approach Al about the lot. And Seth is like, but I have all the lumber cut. <laughs> and Saul says, yeah, I told you that was premature. 98%'s not 100. Yeah, I like that. I like that. But yeah, Timothy Oliphant's doing all his acting through his teeth here. Uh, yeah, some good teeth acting. He's very grumpy. I like Timothy, which is endearing in a way. I, I yeah, I, I do, I do like him. I, I think he, he. There's certain scenes where he's just a little too stiff. He is a, he is trying to figure out his place in this world. He is trying to be someone he's not. He yeah. is trying to be a shopkeeper, and it's not natural for him, and it, and it shows in everything he does. I completely agree that he is lost he's as if you read the little character bios i printed up sucks at retail (laughs) he's just this is not his wheelhouse yeah these dealings these negotiations retail he is a he's a lawman and you know eventually he's going to gravitate back toward that did he ever really say why he left law enforcement in the first place no no i don't think we got a any answer for that oh yeah I, I get this feeling of, um, his character that it's, and again, this may just be because it's close to home. Um, uh, it's like when, uh, a guy from the military wants to retire to civilian life and thinks, you know, everything will make sense then. I won't have to deal with this nonsense and my life will be easier and I don't have to think about the things that I have to do and it'll be easy and I'll be at peace and I'll be calm. And then you go into civilian life and nothing makes sense and everything drives you crazy because it's all wrong, because it's all different. And I feel like that's what Seth is going through, you know, whereas he was the law. I mean, he was the lawman. And now he's in a lawless area where he has no control over anything. And he's used to saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. If he wanted to add an extension to a jail... He could have just done it, bought the lumber and done it. And if he needed space from a local um, landowner, he could tell that landowner, no, this is for the law. This is for the jail. You have to give it to me. And now he's at the whim of capitalism and he just doesn't know how to handle it. No. He's at the whims of Al Swearingen. Yes. Well, and I think we'd all be extremely frustrated in this if we were in his shoes. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm 100% with you on everything you just said. At the gem, Al's bitching to Trixie that the son-of-a-bitch Bell Union people weren't the ones that built the camp. It was Al and Dan who chopped the trees in the gulch to the amusement of local beavers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woodchucks and beavers yeah. in this episode. A lot of uh, very amused rodents. <laughs> uh, and the Dan he's talking about, that's the, the one... Dan Doherty, yeah. Been doing that's his... the guy he has kill everybody, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. He, but... he was saying that. I was like, oh, who was that? Who... Who did I, ca- you know, and I didn't really catch it and I didn't have time to go back and listen again. So, okay, great. Thank you. And he was telling Trixie that he could go toe to toe to Dan with the chopping down trees. It may not seem like it now to look at him, but he and Dan built this place. 
Yeah. And now these Bella Union people just stroll on in and... I'm surprised he actually did physical labor like that. <laughs> I expected him to hire somebody to cut those trees. You have, he had to have the place to make the money to hire people. I assumed he came to Deadwood with money already. But. Al strikes me as a, a new rich guy. Bootstraps. Yeah, bootstrap. And that's why he's so mean and grr, you know, um, because I built this and he has this because he, he worked hard for what he has, you know, moral or immoral. Um, he feels entitled to it more. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at the dude, he just feels entitled to everything because everything's always been handed to him and right. he doesn't know how to handle a situation when it doesn't go his way. Whereas yep. Al is like, oh, it's not going my way. I'm going to make it go my way. Yep. Can we get a clarification on why they call him the dude? Because I thought that was a word for like a cowboy. No, no. Uh, dude is, is somebody who's all dressed up and, and when they talk about dude ranch, it's, you know, people who are coming out who don't know anything about ranches and don't know anything about horses and like city slickers. City slickers, exactly. Yeah. Dudes are city slickers. Oh, all right. Yeah. If you're all duded up, it means that you're all dressed up and yeah. purdy. <laughs> now I just have in my head, you got a purdy mouth. <laughs> well, Al, Al looks very snazzy in his pinstripe suit. He does. I don't think so. You don't. Uh-uh. <laughs> he finally put nice clothes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's you're... probably still wearing the stinky pajamas underneath. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So layers, well, I'm going to be crass here. There's still some smegma in there. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, oh. But but he he uses the term in yep. this scene. What? He yes. says hoopleheads. I have. Yeah, I still don't know what it means. No, well, I I'm a, I'm just making assumptions at what it might be. But which I, is what? Which is I don't know. All the people out there, the gold diggers, people that dig for gold. I guess That's what so. I'm thinking. Am I right? Am I wrong? Who knows? I, Maybe Matt will answer. I get the feeling that <laughs> he's talking about you know all the common people that he considers as marks and and you know idiots that he can you know like suck every minute kind of thing like like a rube yeah like all these you know ignorant easily led i was wondering if it was like a, a term for someone who was illiterate just because they talked about you know you have to be able to read to play craps <laughs> it's a term for dum-dums what is it matt tell us Okay, well, this is the first usage of hoopleheads in the series. It's not a word that was invented by David Milch, but it is anachronistic. It basically means dummies. Yeah, I got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's- According to Professor Jonathan Leiter's Historical Dictionary of American Slang, it probably derives from Major Hoople, a character in the cartoon strip Our Boarding House. The character Major Amos Barnaby Hoople made his first appearance on the strip in January 27th, 1922. So later than this. Yeah. Mm, okay. That. So anachronistic, but <laughs> not the only recording of Hooplehead as an insult was in the 1980 novel Glitter and Ash by Dennis Smith. And it helps to know when I'm about to quote it that Creedmoor is a psychiatric hospital in Queens. 
The old man said, speaking of Maureen, you know, she's been acting like a real hooplehead lately, like a kid they let out of Creedmoor by mistake. Hmm. Oh. When you call us all a bunch of hooplehead's at the beginning of the podcast, I'm going to protest from now on. <laughs> I'm hoping he's I'm, saying I'm putting myself in the group. So, <laughs> said, I didn't say, when, these guys are <laughs> We're all hoopleheads. So what you're saying is, I'm the good version of hooplehead, but those guys are just The other possibility is that it was an expression, and that's why they named the character Hoople, because that kind of stuff yeah. does happen. So unless it could be, but it was researched and they couldn't find it in print until 1980. Oh, okay. Never mind. So we think that Milch just took the word and decided to make it kind of his own slang. Mm-hmm. When you said the the example of using Hooplehead as an insult, um, like she was let out of Creedmoor too early. Am I to assume that that's like Creedmoor as in the mental institution? Yes, the okay. mental excellent hospital in Queens. Yes. Okay. It's still there, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So Al strolls across the thoroughfare to the Bella Union, introduces himself to the newcomers, Cy Tolliver, Powers Booth, Eddie Sawyer, Ricky Jay, and Joni Stubbs, Kim Dickens. I have a question before that. Uh, she, he asked her how he looks, and she said, I don't know, hopefully it's not somebody's quote, but she said, like, Christ crucified. And I was like, is that a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that, too. <laughs> I've never heard that as a compliment. I've never heard it, but I've never, I wouldn't assume it's a compliment if. Was it just because he put his arms out? Oh, maybe. Yes, it was, but I mean, is that a compliment? <laughs> is it, it, does, does they mean like Christ crucified, like glorious and glowing? That's um, figured. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. And- it, could, it couldn't possibly be anything bad because she wouldn't want to insult him, so. And, and, and I don't think she's saying you look emaciated and bloody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a spear in your side. Let me help you with that. Yeah, I mean, there's some weird, there's some weird sayings that you know can be really misinterpreted. But that one sounds like it was supposed to be really good, and to modern ears, sounds like it's really bad. It was a strange phrasing. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Now, the guy who plays Eddie Story, Ricky Jay, is known as a author and magician. Oh. In fact, I have one of his books. It's called Jay's Journal of Anomalies. Conjurers, cheats, hustlers, hoaxers, pranksters, jokesters, imposters, pretenders, sideshow, showmen, armless, calligraphers, mechanical marvels, popular entertainments. That's the full title? Mm, Subtitle. Oh, okay. (laughs) He also wrote a book called Learned Pigs and Fireproof Women. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're just talking about the actor, right? I'm right. Look these books up on Amazon after because yeah, he's starting to sound like a character from Deadwood. There, <laughs> I think I bought this book originally because it reminded me so much of Carnival and the X Files episode Humbug. Hmm. <laughs> yes, he's he's known as he shows up in the X Files later too. Oh. in a magician themed episode. I missed which actor we're talking about. I'm sorry, Ricky J. The kind of I guess he's Cy Tolliver's right-hand man who kind of runs the gaming tables. We see him later talking to EB. Oh, the he's uh, the drug addict? No, he's he runs the gaming tables. He's oh. the beauty guy? Yeah, well, that doesn't help much. That doesn't narrow it down. No, I know, but I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I tried. Well, I'll, I'll think <laughs> point. Okay, now I know why I didn't know who we were talking about, because I still don't. Okay. Well, he's barely in the episode. Yeah. We'll get yeah, to he's, he's barely in this one. Okay. But they, they talk a little bit about 
you know, they do a little exposition again about the nature of the camp and the Indian treaties and all of that. Uh, Al theorizes that the U.S. government gave up throwing the camp settlers out because too many soldiers deserted in order to prospect, which mm-hmm. we kind of already talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Al wants to talk about areas of overlap. Joni says the market will set the rates on women. Eddie says they'll be featuring craps. Al tried craps in Chicago, but he only offers Pharaoh because anything too advanced confuses the hoopleheads. <laughs> I was at Pharaoh. That was what I was trying to think of. Unfortunately, the Bella Union is offering Pharaoh as well. Sai mm-hmm. assures Al that they're offering different atmospheres and will appeal to different clientele. I don't think the clientele that the Bella thinks they're going to get exists in this town. <laughs> they're all dirty, unwashed masses. I I think he's he knows very good and well that they that uh, they're all unwashed mashes. Unwashed <laughs> mashes. <laughs> unwashed masses, and that uh, <laughs> too. And he's planning on just stealing all of Al's customers. Yeah, they both know it. Sai and Eddie talk about how Al obviously came to case them. He may try to burn them down at some point, but maybe not quite yet. Do they mean literally? Yes. I think they mean literally, yes. Yes. He would set fire to the building. I have no doubt that they literally. Put strychnine in the guacamole, too. Here's the thing. They're right across the street. That fire could easily spread to the gem. Mm -hmm. They have to do it on a still night. There's no wind. Yes. David Milch says in Stories of the Black Hills, if you're looking to make a big score and you're playing poker in a bar in Deadwood, you're an idiot. Because there are tens of millions of dollars out there and all you have to do is get a claim and work it. And anybody can take your claim if you don't work it for a short length of time. One upside of cutting someone's throat is that he can't work his claim and you can legally own it. So why do you want to play cards for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the hotel dining room, Brahm is appealing to Bill and Charlie. Bill ain't for hire to rob Brahm's money back and thinks that a good talking to won't do the trick. Charlie cautions Brom that Tim Driscoll's accomplices are dangerous people, but Brom doesn't quite take Charlie's point. God, he's so stupid. (laughs) He didn't even, they didn't even mask the murder. They were like, oh, by the way, he died, you know? They're dangerous people. Ah, Whatever, I'll I'll try it anyways, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You're so stupid. (laughs) I, I think he just, he's so used to being part of the entitled upper class. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the idea that somebody would dare to do something to him mm-hmm. just does not even occur to him. I just picture him like throwing money at problems, like literally, <laughs> like he's on the top of the cliff and Dan's about to push him off. He's like, ah, ah, he's throwing money. There's a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, the Pinkertons are another idea of throwing money at the situation. I mean, it's hiring, yeah. hiring uh, mercenaries, basically. Mm-hmm. But really good mercenaries. Extremely good (laughs) mercenaries. I have some trivia about the Pinkertons, but I was going to save it for a little bit later. Okay. I was just going to mention, you can even read about the Pinkertons in um, the Sherlock Holmes stories. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how popular they were. It wasn't just, they didn't just stick to North America. They, They would go all the way to Europe to find the guy they were looking for. Anybody seen Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid? No. A long time ago. It's on, my, it's on yeah. my list of eventual watches. Oh, if you haven't seen it, you must see it. Yeah, it's it's Pink- an easy easy movie to see. But yeah, the Pinkertons come into play in there too. And bad girls. <laughs> <laughs> They're a huge plot point in that awful western, <laughs> but it's great. They are a precursor to the FBI, aren't they? The Pinkertons? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, they may be a 
precursor to Secret Service. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say more along the lines of like Secret Service or Black Ops. One of the, the trivia points I was going to mention later is that they uncovered a plot to assassinate then President elect Abraham Lincoln. Mm. And during the Civil War, he hired them as personal security. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I think Brom is not only, he's not, doesn't only feel entitled because he has money, but he also expects that the world works a certain way mm-hmm. in terms of civilization, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, in the United States, you don't just murder people if you have a problem with them. Mm-hmm. You f- work things out. You, f- you figure things out. Yeah. His mind just doesn't jump to the worst, which, yes, that makes him naive, kind of makes him idealistic, too. You could put a positive spin on it as well. Yeah. So, oh, the sign on the wall. Restaurant bill of fare. Pork, 25 cents. Plain steak, 30 cents. Elk, 15 cents. Deer, 15 cents. Oxtail stew, 20 cents. Huh. Pork and beans, 10 cents. Bacon, 15 cents. Hardtack, 7 cents. Taos lightning, 5 cents. What? What's that? Taos lightning. It's a... According to True West Magazine, a particularly spicy brand of wheat-based whiskey. Oh. Sound like, ma- sound like a magic spell. <laughs> They're selling magic spells. They're sound magic like- beans. Magic beans. <laughs> Hardtack is a type of cracker or biscuit that's long-lasting, commonly used in long sea voyages, military campaigns, may have been the inspiration for Cram and Lembas in Middle-earth. Mm, and there's a YouTube video uh, out there that will teach you how to make it for the zombie apocalypse. Oh, oh let's all make hardtack for yeah. for fun. For funsies. For funsies. Oh, thank you. Taos Lightning, it sounds like the precursor to Fireball. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do I know what Fireball is? Apparently. Cinnamon whiskey. Oh. It tastes like Red Hots. It's very sweet. I don't like it. It's too sweet for me. I love it. Huh. Do you mix it with anything? You just drink it straight? I just drink it straight. Do you drink it chilled? Nope. Okay. Just straight. It, huh. It's it's surprisingly smooth. I had like this memory that it was a lot more harsh than it was. I don't drink very often. And um, and then I, I had some this summer and was really surprised how smooth it goes down. So since the summer and I've done a lot of a lot more drinking than normal because a lot of people I care about has have passed away. I'm still, I still have half a bottle, so. Mm. Oh. All right. Extremely popular in the in the United yeah. States, Fireball. Yeah. But as I said, it's too sweet for me. Yeah, I've never. Though I do like Red Hots. Yeah. It's what happens when you don't bartend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> a cocktail waitress is more, yeah. Oh, you used to bartend? I used to cocktail waitress and I would bartend occasionally. But so I... you were like the Dan Doherty back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> or um, what's her name? How many people have you killed, Carol? <laughs> How many people have you pushed off cliffs? No, I haven't. I I can honestly say I haven't. No, I was a singing cocktail waitress at one point. Um, oh my gosh, this story oh. just gets better. <laughs> Big tall heels, little tiny costume. Uh, <laughs> you're, a Dix- you're a Dixie Cousins from Briscoe. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, moving on. <laughs> yes, give us a rendition of File My Claim. <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> so Al wants to know who the go-between was that allowed Artie Simpson to sell his hotel to the Bella Union people. And then E.B. repeats what Al just said, which annoys Al. And then also, who farted? <laughs> Actually, he says, who cut the cheese? Yeah. So naturally, I looked up cut the cheese and when this expression originated, another anachronistic expression. According to the book, 
which in this book has the most hilarious title, Flappers to Rappers, American Youth <laughs> Slang. <laughs> Cut the Cheese I Game Pop. I this book in my life. <laughs> I actually got a, my library had a free ebook version of it. And it's really interesting. It's got, it breaks it down by decade, all the different slang. But very human. Flappers to rappers. Uh, this expression cut the cheese gained popularity in the 1950s. Okay, because I thought that sounded pretty... Um, pretty modern, pretty contemporary, yeah. Yeah. At first I thought, okay, this this means something else in Deadwood. And then he opens the door and I'm like, oh no, no, somebody tooted. <laughs> and and here's the plan, guys. From now on, the balcony is like the farting zone, and anybody who doesn't use the balcony is going to go over the balcony. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I first met Mel, she didn't know what cut the cheese meant. I didn't no, know did. until my my uh, cousin sent me a, a a cheese board and stuff <laughs> and some kind of pun. It was like a Christmas present or something. Some kind of pun about cutting the cheese. I had no idea what any of it was about. He had to explain it to me on the phone. No. Tell me the story because I'm pretty sure I did. No, you were confused because we were watching Freakazoid. Oh yeah, and okay. uh, and he was teaching French and on the episode Freakazoid was, and he goes, "Qui a coupé la fromage?" And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, That's what I was thinking. That's why I thought yeah, I knew what it and, meant. But. And you were, you were like, why is he saying that? And I'm like, Matt, say that again. Qui a coupé le fromage? <laughs> <laughs> is that going into the Matt soundboard? It was gonna go, it was gonna go at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not now, because we were all laughing. <laughs> Matt, say it again. Say it again. One more? Yeah, see, <laughs> give, 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 it, give me a clean take. Is it, it, right is right it la or le? Qui a coupé le fromage? Le fromage, okay. Yeah. Okay, everybody put their mute on. Qui a coupé le fromage? That's really great. I love no, it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not putting it at the end. I just wanted to make you say it. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mel, um, am I correct in uh, assuming your uh, English as a second language, right? Your first language is French? Yes. So, what is, are some of the fun actual french slang for farting uh Pit. there's no Pit. real Pit? slang oh just tell, a... tell them about the the dessert oh yeah we have a dessert in acadian culture is it nun farts <laughs> yes i love <laughs> nun farts it's called pet dessert and it's literally translated as nun farts yep, yep. <laughs> or it, sister farts or sister farts but it means... and it's basically just like a roll it's like a brioche cinnamon bun kind of thing and it's like got a brown sugar sauce all over it mm -hmm. yeah. so everybody go uh, after this go look up a recipe and enjoy some sister farts i i looked up sister farts i have two videos on youtube <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's all done using like scraps from when you're making pies so yeah, like sure all can... the excess that comes off and then you just roll it up oh it's so good yeah all right so Al suspects that the hardware boys may be the go-between. E.B. once again repeats this back to Al. Al's annoyed. Al reminds Johnny to get Wu to dispose of Persimmon Phil, and then tells Jimmy Irons to fetch in the dope fiend who's operating the pharaoh tables at the Bella Union. Anything else on this mm, smelly scene? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't suspect right. E.B. at this point. Mm -hmm. I didn't either. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise when that was revealed. I, I didn't think he had as much of a, a spine to do what he did. Well, apparently he, did, he didn't try to be like super 
conniving against it. He just did something yeah. that led to this happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, it, it seems to me that they approached him to buy his hotel and he was like, no, I don't want to sell my hotel, but you should go buy that other hotel. And then after the fact, realize, oh my God, Al is going to kill me. That's what mm-hmm. it seems like to me. I was really but that surprised. he knew it was coming. When he headed to the, when he was over there and mm. nervous about Al finding out and everything, I was really kind of surprised he didn't just leave. The guy said to him, then you being here is kind of a bad idea. Mm. I was really surprised he didn't go straight over to Al and say to him, Hey, I just went over and, you know, checked out the place and this is what, you know, I saw type He's thing. not that smart. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I don't know why, though, just going into the building and coming out of it indicates anything to Al or to anyone. I would think that anybody who operated a business in the area or anyone just who lived in the camp would be kind of curious and would want to just kind of walk in, see what it looks like, and then leave. Yeah. Well, I think Al is just uh, paranoid. And sometimes you're right when you're paranoid. I mean, he keeps suspecting Seth and Saul of doing, of wanting to do the same thing. And he thinks that they're in cahoots with, with Wild Bill and that they're going to turn this little lot into a saloon. And meanwhile, his own guys are doing what he's afraid of. So the fact that he sees somebody walk in there and he's like, that's who did it. Well, he probably would have thought that of anyone he saw walking in there. Although, in a bizarre sort of way, the fact that he keeps everybody so scared of him mm-hmm. kind of, I feel like that's a reason for him to think that if they went in there, it was for no good because otherwise they would stay out just to keep him from getting mad at them. Yeah. Well, before we get to the EB at the Bella Union, there's a scene in the hotel where Alma implores Brom to take a walk before he goes to see elsewhere in Then she hugs him, which is actually very sweet. She looks across the hallway. She sees Jane peering out, and then Jane slams the door. At the top of the stairs, Bill is sleeping, and Brom takes this to mean that he was right to be dubious about Bill's abilities. Right. Yeah. Which is a really interesting spin on the conversation in the dining room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's laudanum time. But so I, I Hang on. Before you move on, that scene between Alma and Jane, though, like, I feel like that speaks volumes, but I'm not exactly sure all of the complexities of it. And I wonder if on rewatch, I'll, I'll see more there, but they definitely had like this serious connection, you know? And I think for Alma, it was curiosity. And for Jane, it was just caution. Mm. Like, I don't know you. I have, to, I have to close the door. But I was thinking because they're the only non horse. Mm hmm. So, yeah. and we're going to, we'll talk about this later, but then there's another scene that parallels this in which Alma looks across the thoroughfare at Trixie. Mm. They, see, mm. they see each other across the, the chasm. Mm-hmm. So we have Alma making silent connections with two different women. The women mm. don't really um, commiserate that much, I guess, mm. do they? No. no, they don't. They don't interact, but I wonder if that's going to change. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the whores do, but. Yeah. Yeah, but that's because they kind of work together, so. But they're all in different, like, classes. Yeah, <laughs> and that my feeling when I saw Jane react that way to Alma was that it was it was like a class thing, that yeah. um, she would not expect Alma to accept her any more than she expected to be able to get a room at the hotel. And she looked kind of scared, actually, I thought. Like, like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. She looks startled. Yeah. 
And then she's like, oh shit. Yeah. Close the door. Yeah. So I assume she wasn't high then when she was hugging him. <laughs> Is this the first time she wasn't high that we've seen? I think she's always high. I think she's always high. I think oh. she's... Usually she, as soon as she feels it waning off, she just yeah. drinks some well, more. She, usually she doesn't care about what's happening, and she seemed to show concern and worry. Well, and she, she gave him good advice. Like she, she knows that she can't tell him, don't do that. But she's she, like, take a walk. She's still dependent on, on Brahm. I mean, yeah. so she doesn't want anything. Even if she doesn't like him, she doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. Because what would that mean for her? Mm. I wonder. I wonder so. if she wishes that she was, you know, quote unquote, the man in the relationship. Because you know, you can tell that she feels that he doesn't know what he's doing, and mm. she's trying to give him actually good advice, and he's not taking it, and she's powerless in the relationship. I could I think see I that. I mentioned this before. Just how strange it is that she has more of a awareness of the camp and the politics of the camp than he does. Yeah. And she's high all the time and she never leaves her room. Yeah. Or rarely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, from the, from the first episode, I've always gotten the feeling that this woman basically gave up a long time ago. And that's what the laudanum is, is for that she knows that she married a fool and he's going to do what he wants to do. And, you know, she just, the only way she can deal with it is, or the way she deals with it is just, you know, okay, he's going to do what he's going to do. I'll tell him what I think, and then he's going to do what he's going to do. So let me just have another hit. <laughs> so Brom thinks that Wild Bill is passed out drunk in the hallway, but we know that he's there because Jane is with the girl. and That little girl looks so scared every time somebody mm-hmm. talks to her. <laughs> She's still alive. I know everyone thought she'd be dead by at this point. What yeah. must she be thinking, to, though? Would you? Would I don't she, know. She's got to be so confused. Wouldn't you I be scared, be, too, though, if you were hanging out with Calamity Jane and she's always angry? She's always yelling about something. Ah! And she doesn't even know, like, well, I'm assuming she doesn't speak English, but uh, I kind of secretly hope that she speaks English this whole time and just starts yes. speaking English one day. <laughs> she's taking it all in. She's like a little sponge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she just lost her whole family three days ago, too. Yes. Poor kid. Yeah. Jane tells the girl how he's considerate. He's being considerate for sleeping out in the hallway. <laughs> and then Jane owes her three pennies for swearing. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was so cute. That was adorable. <laughs> I love she's trying not to swear in front of the little kid. <laughs> and And I think she really believes what this story she's making up in her head. About I think considerate? Yeah, that he's being considerate and that he has a care for her. And is this this scene when she explains, like, you may wake up in a different part? Oh, no, that's the next. The okay, later. okay, we'll uh-huh. get to that later. But maybe he is being considerate. He could have gone into the room and... Oh, he, he, he could yeah. be, but I... I think it's important to note that, like, she's not oh, just... She's, she is, she's embellishing. Yeah. It's her fantasy. Yes. Yeah, she's living a fantasy right now. (laughs) Which she's she's writing some Jane Wild Bill fanfic on her. (laughs) Oh, that's total friend fiction for her. Yes. (laughs) Um, I did a little reading about uh, Jane and made sure to stop as soon as it got to meeting Bill and Hickok. Bill and Hickok, sorry. Uh, Bill and Deadwood. But apparently, most of what's known about her life comes from her. And there are many times when people say that out and out didn't happen and that's a huge embellishment. So like she's known to do this to convince herself that things are more than they were. 
So yes, she's probably one of the hardest characters to get an accurate biography of, yeah. if not the hardest, because she was known as a bullshit artist. Mm-hmm. At the hardware tent, Jack is looking at the goods while he talks about how Bill is going to get his just desserts, both at the poker table and otherwise, but don't ask him what he means by that last part. Jack, what'd you mean? I said don't ask. <laughs> then an annoyed Seth throws Jack out of the tent and into the mud, and Jack declares in so many words, I'll just take my business elsewhere. <laughs> I love I love that Seth tossed him into the mud. I yes. thought that was great. But he has no business sense at all. He no, really does. No, no. That's not how you treat customers, but that's a terrible customer. Mm. I'm sure many people... He wasn't going to buy anything anyway. No, no. No. He wasn't. It would someday. If any, any of you have ever worked into in a retail, I'm sure you felt like that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> felt like doing that kind of thing. <laughs> and there's always people who are like, You've just lost a customer. Yeah. Yes. I will take my business elsewhere. We'll do well, that. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, there's like another person somewhere at uh, the competitors who's saying the exact same thing. So it, yes. it doesn't matter. People are, I'm going to go write a letter. I'm going to go on Yelp. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to ruin your business. I'm going on Yelp. Yeah, sure you will. Okay. Did, I, so did I already tell you guys about the time I was working at the gas station and I had an irate customer and I wasn't wearing my name tag? I forgot it. I was wearing a, uh, a co-worker's. I think I heard <laughs> Yeah, you told us that. Yeah. Okay, never yeah. mind. Cut this. And what and what happened to that guy? <laughs> what was that? What happened to the co-worker? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing? No no angry letters? No phone calls? Oh, customers always are all... Threads. It's empty threats, yeah. Yeah. I worked at a call center uh, over the holidays taking Christmas orders and a radio station called me and started asking me stupid questions, but I didn't know that it was a radio station. Oh, they're trying to. And I was all very flustered and kind of like panicky because I didn't, I did not know why the fruit of the month basket only had like 10 months of fruit <laughs> <laughs> and there are 12 months in the year. Like I didn't know. I didn't know the answer to that. And I actually I gave it to a coworker because I was getting like, upset because then i started to hear people laughing and she's like you know what i'll let me deal with it so she chewed him out yeah. and then people who were listening to the radio station called my company and tried to get me fired <gasps> for what no. for being rude to a customer oh but that wasn't yep. you <laughs> no uh, no and then the, like my supervisor and her supervisor like sat me down and were like it, you didn't do anything wrong this happens from time to time hmm. you know but it was it was very ups- upsetting yeah oh, that's so cool i hate i hate those like uh, prank call in shows when they do that or you know when the radio show is pranking people i just i don't enjoy that kind of, i don't find it funny i just find it mean and cruel and mm. ugh, i can't stand that stuff and somebody told me that it was danny bonaducci's radio show oh, and that's why yeah. he is my sworn nemesis <laughs> taking you down down uh but a douchebag. <laughs> he he had one radio show that I listened to that I actually enjoyed because his co-host really kind of kept him in control. And then um, that radio station went kaputski and he went elsewhere. And then I heard him on his own radio show on his own. And I was like, oh, you are such a jerk now. Go away. So apparently he needs to be reined in and needs somebody on top of him. I hate prank calls. Yeah. Prank calls. Cranky anchors. Oh yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Or the what, what was the one where they use uh, the the Schwarzenegger soundboard? Oh, I love Schwarzenegger soundboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> but now when you call actual people who aren't in on the joke, it's not nice. I've done it to my friends before, but yeah, I wouldn't do it to a stranger. No. <laughs> yeah. 
Or the somebody calls a, a pizza place and then calls another pizza place and makes them talk to each other. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now that's just messing up people's business. Yeah, it's you know, you know, and these and these people, they're not paid a lot of money. These are minimum wage or barely above people. Don't don't grief them. And like the other pranks where they'll order pizza, you know, where they pay when they get there, and they send it to somebody else's house as a prank. Oh, Meanwhile, that poor pizza delivery guy, he's probably not getting paid, and he's yeah. working only on tips. Yeah, that's horrible. I yeah, hate that. We learn that Charlie operates a freight business out of Cheyenne, and he can arrange to bring some goods in. Mm-hmm. Then Charlie takes his hat off and invites oh, the boys to dinner. So cute. This was adorable. So cute. <laughs> I was half expecting a flower. Well, that's actually, I don't know if anyone has the quote. Oh, yeah. yeah. Seth is totally up for that. And that's when Johnny shows up and says that Al wants to see Seth and Saul. From her window, Alma sees Brom take his walk. And she takes another sip. Mm-hmm. I could I could hear her thoughts in this in this scene. I was like, she's thinking, I'm married. I married an idiot. I married an idiot. Glug 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 glug. So Al has new terms for the hardware boys. One thousand dollars. They can sell goods to the Bella Union people, but no gambling or hoarding on the premises. And if Seth and Saul decide to sell their lot. Al gets right of first refusal and a chance to match whatever the offer is. And a deal is struck. Isn't this all the exact deal they wanted originally anyways last episode and he didn't want to do it? Yep. It, it's pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So what changed? Why did he want to do it now? Probably because what he was afraid of just happened from somebody else. Okay. That's my guess. Right. So yeah. he's worried that they'll sell... Or they'll leave and somebody else will set up a shop there. And if they actually set up their hardware No, shop, I think he's less he, worried about them doing it because Bella Union came and did what he was afraid of. And so they're, they're a bigger concern for him. Yeah. Because they've got a lot more space and it would make no sense for anybody to... Because the size lot that they have is like a third the size of the Bella Union. That was a whole hotel. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I was surprised that Seth accepted it so readily, though. Well, he, he did hesitated, it, he but did I mean, it through he's gritted still... teeth again. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. But because I... he already has the wood cut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he really wanted to refuse. You could tell. He just yeah. wants contrary. <laughs> to, well, uh, I think I think Al. he feels that L has control over the situation, and yeah. he'd rather have control, probably. But what do you think of E. B. watching this whole thing while he smiles and kind of giggles to himself? Why was he giggling? I didn't even notice that. Yeah, they show him a couple times. He's just watching and, like, happy. Huh. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Huh. He's, just, he's amused whenever money changes hands. <laughs> <laughs> For no reason. For no reason. I I don't know. I, maybe he's just trying to show Al that he's on his side, and he's like, hey, hey, you're swindling he's just them. A che- <laughs> he's just a che- Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was thinking. No, because E.B. knows that he what he did, and he, perhaps he's just trying to ingratiate himself a little bit more before the truth comes out. He was the most brown-nosing, suck-up <laughs> character in this entire episode. <laughs> God. And there was an E.B. Farnham who owned a hotel, but he was not like this. Okay. Mm. He was a businessman. He was smart and enterprising. There's no evidence that he was a toady for Al Swearingen. Mm. Is, uh, so if, if is, you're the real EB, you're pro- pretty angry that they're treating you. I was going to say, his descendants yeah. sh- should sue. <laughs> <laughs> Outside, Soapy proposes to Charlie a shooting exhibition with Wild Bill. They'll charge for the event and sell souvenirs, but Charlie uh, passes. You no, said, thank you. 
He's trying to like basically sell uh, everything but wild Bill's yeah. bodily secretions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was. Oh, hey, let's do that too. Mop <laughs> <Up> his brow. <laughs> I've um I've done one of those uh not not like demonstrations but like competitions where you got to shoot at playing cards and stuff. It's kind of fun. I didn't win. No. But I didn't lose. I was nice like upper middle of the pack. Interesting. Oh, that's good. I've certainly done shooting gallery arcade game things. <laughs> <laughs> like at Cedar Point or uh Excalibur or Circus. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lot better at the, at the arcade style game ones cuz there's yeah. no recoil. <laughs> Yeah, re- recoil hurts. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not bad. You just have to be prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. find shooting guns is scary. Yeah. The, on the one and only time that I shot a gun, I cried. Yeah, and I told you you were gonna before you. I was like, now you are gonna cry afterwards. You're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was like pretending to be all tough. <laughs> I was like, no, I was calamity janing it. Yeah. <laughs> like I shot the gun and then I cried because it scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> it's very loud and powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was already kind of really nervous about it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have shot a gun since I was a kid. We used to have um, rifle range by the PAL, the Police Athletic League. Used to have kids rifle range and uh, so, you know, it was 22s and uh, 22 rifles and stuff like that but uh it, it was a really good program but i haven't shot a gun since back then mm. yeah there's no need to <laughs> I, it's fine. i'm not a not an advocate for guns mm-hmm. though i probably will reverse my position when the zombie apocalypse happens yes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my parents being from gun country felt like everybody should have respect for guns mm. yes and have an idea of how they worked and mm-hmm. uh, that was their and main. They're not toys, and yeah. exactly they are dangerous, and you need to treat them with respect and exactly. safely. Yep. Exactly. Now I'm just now I'm just picturing Matt being woefully unprepared for a zombie apocalypse and trying to take out a, like a horde of zombies with the Nerf gun. <laughs> <laughs> Die, you motherfuckers! <laughs> it's not working (laughs) although maybe their flesh would be soft enough that the nerf gun might work (laughs) lodge some nerf in their brain yes you should film that matt i should (laughs) next short film i should make a movie out of that (laughs) if nerf can take care of the zombie apocalypse i'm pretty sure we're fine then (laughs) (laughs) all right so seth begs off dinner because he and saul want to get to building charlie's disappointed by this. I was also disappointed. Yeah. I I feel like Charlie probably Charlie probably feels like Bill is on a downward spiral here mm-hmm. and he's just hoping that the dinner would kind of pull him away from the poker table and just the funk that he's in. Well, and I think he was trying to set up a friendship between Seth and Bill before he left because he's not going to be able to keep an eye on Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably true as well. Yeah. Charlie feels like time's running out for Bill. Mhm. Yeah. So. Yeah. But we see later they don't have dinner, but they do some construction together. So. Yeah. There's a little bit of bonding time. And Bill, Bill tries. Yeah. I thought it was cool yeah. that Bill offered to, you know, get in there and help him build their. Yeah. Thing. And he seemed to be having a good time. Yeah. yeah until the Bill. jerks came over. Yeah. So this is when Evie walks into the Bella Union. He tells us that he can read and cipher, <laughs> and we find out that he was the go-between. Oh yeah. You yeah. can read and cipher. C-O-M-E says come. Sorry, <laughs> is that somebody's you. quote? But Good it's just funny. <laughs> yeah. 
Eddie says to EB, Hiram, have you ever seen a crab's layout? I'm trying to figure out what Hiram means. Isn't that- I believe it could be an affectionate term for brother, because in Hebrew, Hiram means my brother is exalted. Oh, I thought Hiram was an actual, like, Jewish name. name. Yeah. Well, it is, and there was a King Hiram. Okay. Yeah. It's a regular name. I had just assumed that that was the guy's name. It's not? No, it's E.B., uh, which I think is Eustace Bailey. Oh, he calls him... I think so. B. Hiram? Oh. Yeah, he says, Hiram, ever seen a craps layout? And this is not the only time, uh, slang spoiler, that Hiram is used in the show. So I think this is just David Milch kind of inventing another slang word, kind of like how he took Hooplehead from the 1920s, was it, or 1980, and made it a period slang. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of idea. But if Hiram means my brother is exalted, I think what he might be saying is, brother, ever seen a craps mm-hmm. layout? Mm-hmm. Maybe. That's what. That's just, just my interpretation of what he's saying. Hmm. And then E.B. Uh, slinks away when we see Al watching him. <laughs> Any comments, additional comments on E.B. at the Bella Union? He's just a slimy rat. The whole thing surprised <laughs> me. I did not expect it. Sorry, I was Googling the definition of Hiram as slang and don't go to Urban Dictionary. Right, okay. We're Just going, a word of warning. Going right now. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. Doing and this it. is why Urban Dictionary doing is it. wrong. Doing it. Uh, do it. Go. Doing it. Why? What? Who shouldn't? Everybody shouldn't? Or Everybody just... shouldn't. Oh, okay. It's, well, Matt... Oh, really? Matt, okay. Matt not doing it. I don't right, know why. Right. There's, there's no way that that's what they, they meant. Yes, I know that's no... The, Urban Dictionary is wrong probably the majority of the time. But where they come up with these... Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Where they come up with these ideas, I, I will I never understand. Where, I, <laughs> yeah, they're not like properly this, sourced. I feel no. like this, that's just a troll... <laughs> we should my, really look it up in Flappers to Rappers. Yes, we should. See if, see if it's in there. <laughs> my my brother-in-law um, likes to, like, in between conference calls, he'll go on to Urban Dictionary and just create definitions. Oh. So. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. Oh, way to ruin their credibility. Yeah, I never really. had any. <laughs> <laughs> so Al gives some dope to Leon. He wants daily reports on what's happening at the Belly Union. Mm. Then that's when Al spots E.B. leaving the joint. Al tells Leon, E.B. is the type he wants reports on. Mm. That's when Johnny comes in and says that Brom's downstairs. Brom has lost faith in the property and wants his $20,000 back. Since Trim Driscoll is no longer in camp, he's holding Al responsible. And if Al won't make restitution, Brom will make the Pinkertons a party to their dispute. Mm-hmm. Al asks Brom if he has reconnoitered the rims yet. <laughs> Yay, title alert! There we go. Since the gold found in the stream bed must have washed down from somewhere up above. Al convinces Brom to take Dan reconnoitering. Brom goes to the hotel to change some cl- change clothes, and Al tells Dan to make it look like an accident. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't think this whole thing was going to play out like they planned, because it seemed too easy. It seemed like we know that this is the kind of thing that Al does, and it's expected, and we would expect him to win all the time, and he probably has previously, and I thought maybe this was going to be the one time it went wrong, and uh, Brom was somehow going to get the best of Dan. <laughs> No, I never thought Braum was going to get the best of anybody. Mm. I didn't expect him necessarily to die at this point, but uh, no. Neither did I. I was shocked when the, when I first saw this and this happened. I I didn't think Braum was long for the world, but I didn't think they'd kill him off so soon. Yeah, I, I was not. Ex- I was expecting him to stay around longer. I 
I figured he something bad was always going to happen to him, but I expected him to be around a little longer. Yeah. Okay, so the Pinkertons. The Pinkerton Detective Agency was a private law enforcement company founded in 1850 by Scottish immigrant Alan Pinkerton. They provided private security for Lincoln, but later they expanded from investigation and private security to strike-breaking. Between 1866 and 1892, the Pinkertons participated in 70 labor disputes and opposed over 125,000 strikers. Yep. One of the the events that's most well-known is the Homestead Mining Strike, Steel Mine, in Pennsylvania, where it happened in 1892. Andrew Carnegie, who owned the mine, hired Pinkertons to come in and squash the strikers. 300 Pinkertons were given Winchester rifles and towed up the Ohio River on barges under cover of darkness. Hmm. When they tried to disembark, the gunfire was exchanged between the Pinkertons and the strikers. It went on for between 12 and 14 hours. Hmm. When it ended, three Pinkertons were dead, nine strikers were dead. The third most deadly labor dispute in U.S. history. Mm. Mm. The Pinkerton Agency exists today as simply called Pinkerton. It's a private security company owned by a Swedish company, Securitas AB, headquartered in Stockholm. Their logo is an eye with a searchlight, and their motto is, we never sleep. I think (laughs) I've seen that around. Mm -hmm. That's kind of neat that they're still around. Yeah. Yeah, they have quite the history. Yeah. But they were just known as being very, like hired goons, almost. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you were hiring Liam Neeson, you know? <laughs> Someone with a certain set of skills, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have a character for Shadowrun game that is a direct descendant of the Pinkertons, and she's a private detective. Mm. Total geek little thing there, so. There you go. <laughs> All right. Now, this may not be true, just something that I, I read. There was no citation for this, but they said that at the time, there were more Pinkerton agents than there were members of the U.S. Standing Army. Oh, wow. What? So. Well, if you think about it, at that point in time, um, the Army really wouldn't have been very big. I mean, the Civil War is over. Right. And the only thing that they're dealing with, really, is Indians and the... Um, a lot of people deserting. Yeah, well, a lot of people are, yeah. are they're done with the Army because the war is over and everybody's gone home and, you know... At that stage in American history, did did we have the funds to really keep an army? No, we we didn't have a very large standing army until uh, World War Two. Yeah, and if the Pinkertons could put three hundred of their people on a barge, yeah, and they must they must have had large numbers because I would assume this is not the only operation at the time. Yeah, I agree. They they're definitely scary. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it was a private army or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, just like, uh, I mean, today we have private contractors, we have private defense contractors and security people, you know, they have more of a freedom to do whatever they want. There's no uh, accountability for them like there is for people who are actually in the armed yep. services. Mm-hmm. They don't have to follow the Geneva Convention. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to follow the Geneva Convention. They don't have to follow, and, and, and the countries that hire them are not seen as responsible for their actions. Hmm. Mm. So that's another bit there. Yeah, Blackwater. That was yeah. the uh, private military company. Yep. That's very prominent in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Though I think they've now been renamed. Have they? They're now called Academ- Academy, oh. but with an I in the end. Oh. Probably to <laughs> help the reputation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. We're just, you know, an academy here, you know. Imagine sailors, uh, scout uniforms, and yeah, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> 
In the hotel, Charlie admonishes Jane for not allowing Bill inside of her room. Jane tells Charlie that Bill was already asleep. And Bill says, well, either way, I'm awake now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and Charlie tells Bill that dinner's canceled, but uh, maybe Bill's going to go help them build their hardware store. I love Wild Bill here. Sleepy Wild Bill is my favorite Wild Bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture him in a recliner chair, like, like just in modern times, like falling asleep in front of the TV, and then you go to visit him, and then he just wakes up kind of like, ah, whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He he would totally be a couch potato. Yes, I feel like he would be. I just feel like he would be like like a great uncle or like a grandpa or something. Like just like... Remote in hand. Yes. He's like just but he don't was like, beat him just, at cards. He's just, like, <laughs> just got that nice country charm to him and I just like him. Aww. <laughs> and the Sam Elliott mustache. <laughs> so Alma does not like Brahm's plan. She suggests that they look at the $20,000 as just an adventure, Mm -hmm. and they should leave the camp, see more of the West, and if not that, return to New York, but Brom will not leave without his money. So Alma takes a sip of laudanum, because, oh my god, this fucker. And Brom tells her that, you know, hey, I sampled a little bit of that when I had a headache, and I didn't find the the, the dull, numb, floaty feeling a relief. And she thinks that perhaps maybe the sexes experience the medicine differently. I think she just said that to throw him off because it totally. Oh, she, she, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was... It helps my women's troubles. <laughs> yeah, oh, women's troubles. Him. Say no more. I don't want to hear any more about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brian was probably like, "Ah, oh, she beat me. I cannot, I cannot confirm or deny that claim." <laughs> uh, almost so smart. <laughs> For a junkie. Yeah, I can't believe how, yeah, she is very smart and aware, despite being in, like, a drugged stupor. Yeah. She just has really bad relationship uh, choices. Like, she makes bad... I expect well, big, Bad judgment. I expect big things from her when she gets clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about the fact that her big relationship choice, which we don't even know if she made the choice. Right. To, to be with Brom. Right. The, the biggest choice... Is with him being with Brom, and obviously she's unhappy. I'm not sure she's made any other bad relationship choices. She doesn't talk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know her backstory yet. Yeah, we don't know if she chose really him don't. or if Daddy yeah. chose him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she's never really been allowed outside. And mm-hmm. once, once you know, she's got him. She's stuck with him. Yep. So it's dusk, and Al is on the balcony watching the Bella Union open its doors, accompanied by gunfire. I can't believe how many women the Bella Union brought with them. That's just a shocking amount of women. They seem mm-hmm. to be better looking than than, than Al's women. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, do you think do you think they're gonna slowly get yes more haggard, <laughs> haggard, yes, and dirtier, and and like maybe that's what Al's women look like when he first brought them there. I think so. I think they were fresh, and then Al beat the shit out of them, oh. and then they were all like crappy looking oh. and they got beat well, shit out of by customers too so. and they get all used up well one of the terms for the prostitutes slang terms a uh, soiled dove oh, oh. ew oh my <laughs> they were pretty now they're no longer i oh. i'd much rather whore jeez <laughs> oh. i think that they can consi- probably considered soiled dove a romantic sort of view Yes, I don't know. I I don't think I'd see it that way, but... (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it's nighttime, and Bill and Charlie are helping Seth and Saul build their store. A man named Nathan 
tells Bill that he saw him perform with Buffalo Bill Cody and Jack Omahundro on stage in Hartford, Connecticut. But oh my God, did he suck as an actor. This was something that, you know, I I think it was the first episode I started to say something about Wild Bill's background in performance, and I was afraid I had it wrong, so I, I was quiet about it. And I went and I looked up what he'd done, and I was going to mention it, and then I saw this episode, and I'm like, oh, okay, yep. there it is. <laughs> Uh, I like the guy who plays Nathan, Joel McKinnon Miller. He's been in a lot of stuff. Before before he went to Deadwood, Wild Bill had tried to start his own Wild West show and had failed miserably. He had bought some buffalo and he brought some Indians and, and all kinds of stuff to like uh, to New York somewhere or someplace. And he pretty much nobody came and he lost everything. He had to sell the buffalo for meat to give the Indians fare to get back home, and uh, and then he joined Buffalo. That's really sad. Yeah, yeah. Sad. He joined Buffalo Bill Cody, and everybody said he was a terrible actor. But mm. uh, it was almost like the precursor to Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, and he was apparently extremely unhappy, uh, even though he was getting a regular paycheck and stuff, and he really needed the money. He was very very unhappy and got depressed and so forth so so another guy shows up he admonishes the first guy for this insulting story and runs him off and this drunk is wild bill's number one fan and he just goes on and on about it and bill's like okay that's great thanks a bunch see you later but the number one fan does not like being shooed away and he gets very angry very angry and he tells bill that he hopes bill gets sorted out gut shot dies slow and he hopes it happens in the camp and he gets to see it Suddenly, Bill does not feel like doing any more construction, so he's going to get up and go play some poker or drink some whiskey. Yeah, that was so sad. I was like, oh, he was like making progress, and now he's, it's all lost it all. This, yeah. this is the first time I actually felt bad for Wild Bill. Like, I know he's been portrayed as a, you know, a sad guy, and we should feel bad for him in the past couple episodes, but I, I don't know. I made a connection with the character this time, and I really felt bad for him. Yeah. Well, he's, I, the guy was his number one fan for killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Which Well, it's like how many how many soldiers who have been overseas and I they come back and 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 people will come up to them and say, "Did you kill anyone?" It's like, "Yeah. How could you talk to me about that? That is not something I would want to discuss if I did or didn't." Yeah. Like that's that's a horrible thing to do. No person in their right mind wants to kill someone. Well, that guy that guy did. The fan did. He wanted to gouge yeah. people's eyes out, but that guy was just crazy. <laughs> well, he he kept going on and on about how people were dissing Bill, and that he would sort it, sort him out. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll, I'm sticking up for you, Bill, and Bill's like, "That's great, but could you please go away?" And as soon as he's asked to leave, then the guy gets extremely hostile. And I think we talked a little bit about how when people are in the orbit of celebrities, they mm-hmm. attach themselves, and when you try and get them to leave you alone. Then they just turn on you instantly. You yeah. know, too. I feel like I feel like Wild Bill because of all the attachments that he he has. Like it's always a freaking alpha male competition all the time. They're yep. always saying because that guy that was saying you're a bad actor, he was an actor, so he was like, "Well, you suck." You know, mm-hmm. I'm obviously a great actor. And then the other guy was saying, you know, oh. I've killed people for you, you know, like, I kill people too, I've killed, I've gouged this guy's eyes out, you know, admire me. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of gross. And, and Bill can never just be a person, like, he can't just sit there and help his friend yeah. build the front to his store yeah. without people to, coming up to him. Yeah. yeah. He needs to wear a disguise. That kind of crap, yeah. 
Yeah, he needs to do the con costume thing, you know? <laughs> like celebrities do at cons, they go into like a mm. cosplay yes. so that nobody can see their face. <laughs> I want, I want, <laughs> or he needs a body double. Yeah. Uh, I want him to, to be wearing gigantic sunglasses next time we see him. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, he's still surviving off of this celebrity. Right. Like he yeah. can't, he can't get rid of it because he needs it in order to have credit. Uh, have people pay him to do stuff, but at the same time, it's a noose around his neck. Yep. So I didn't feel like the first guy was intentionally being insulting. Yeah, and I don't think he was, I, had such a hard time with him yeah. as he did with the second guy. Or saying like I was the better actor. Yeah. I th- I feel like he was just that was his in- his intro, his his way yeah. in. Hey, I'm you know I saw you as an actor. You weren't very good, but ha ha. You know, like a little gentle teasing. Mm-hmm. I think that guy was fine. Yeah. But the second guy was just scary. Yeah, the yeah. first guy. The first guy probably assumed that Wild Bill knew he was a bad actor. Yeah. He was like, "Let's bond yeah. over." Uh, yeah, let's bond over. Actor. <laughs> of course, <laughs> people don't generally don't like to be reminded that they're terrible, even no. if they admit that they are. No. Like, how many people talk about Keanu Reeves being a bad actor? And imagine if you met Keanu Reeves. You know, I probably yeah. wouldn't go up and say you suck, and you you went to the Shakespearean acting company, and you still were terrible in what you do. You know, like I wouldn't do that, but. This guy's like all awkward, and it's like, well, everybody, you know, if if somebody were to make a comment about Keanu Reeves being a bad actor, and he acts shocked, you're like, oh, come on, you know, (laughs) you 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 know know. that you suck, right? Do you guys think he gets that, Keanu Reeves? (laughs) Oh God, I I hope so. (laughs) I mean, he has the internet, right? (laughs) His friends probably tease him about it, but you can tease your friends. You don't tease strangers. So this guy was clueless, but I think ultimately he didn't mean any insult by it. Yeah, he was harmless. He was, that was just my read on it. Oh, he was no. inappropriate but harmless, whereas the other guy was inappropriate and scary. Also, Wild Bill's self-image, I don't think, has anything to do with being an actor. Mm. No. Um, unlike Keanu Reeves, who you would be <laughs> insulting his <laughs> chosen profession, True. his life work. Uh, Wild- and he's obviously tried to fix it. <laughs> Wild Bill is... You know, I don't think he really. Yeah, that's not what he's about. Yeah, he's not about. Right. That's not his ide- self identity. It's you know saying, oh, you know, you're a lousy actor. Yeah, I'm a lousy actor. I don't care. He gets he gets really concerned when people start. You know, it starts being very serious business when people start talking about his gunfighting, his violence, of poker, so, and yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the poker stuff has almost been connected to the gunfighting, though. Mm, that's true. Been, there's been double entendres and everything else because of that one jerk that he keeps playing with. I like um I like the thing that Wild Bill's been doing in this episode where he announces what he's going to do. <laughs> he's like, "Yes, I'm going to pass out now," or something like that. And <laughs> I, I'm going to abandon you. <laughs> I do like that. You woke me up. I'm gonna go see if they need help building. Yeah. It's leftovers from his acting career. Well, he probably has to feel like he has to explain himself to Charlie like everywhere he's going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so, otherwise, I'm- Charlie's would want to follow him. Yeah. I'm yeah. suddenly picturing Wild Bill as like an Alcor from um, uh, Mass Effect, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sleepy retreat. I'm going to go see if those boys need some help. Al <laughs> <laughs> tells EB that Bill and the hardware boys sure seem joined at the hip, despite not having anything to do with each other. 
E.B. thinks that Al did the right thing regarding the lot, but Al isn't so sure. He relies on people he can trust, people like E.B. Say, E.B., something the matter? Your palms are damp, but they're always damp. What's wrong? You seem to be shaking. What do you mean by special circumstances? <laughs> FYI, I could burn down the whole camp if I want to. I could burn the whole camp down and slit your throat, starting with yours, E.B. This is when he confesses and says, Yes, Al, I was the go-between. E.B. didn't know who the buyers were. He just wanted the competing hotel to close. And Al does this gross thing where he licks his lips <laughs> and then tells E.B. to stay friendly with those Bella Union cocksuckers. That was smart of him. Okay, so yeah, mm-hmm. I thought Al was going to reconnoiter the rim of Farnham's ear <laughs> when he did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I did not expect E.B. to live throughout the end of this episode, and so that kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were going to kill off two who I thought were made. Well, he basically says, you know, you can't kill everybody. You can't burn everything down. Yeah. Otherwise, there'll be nothing left. You have to trust somebody. But even at the same time, he's also like, well, if you're going to kill me, do it quick. And I don't want to be mm-hmm. eaten by pigs because what, what, what if there's resurrection of the flesh, you know? <laughs> yeah. What if the Mormons are right? <laughs> yeah. I was going back and forth as I was watching it. Like, are they going to lose two major characters in one episode? Or So I, I was glad to see he let E.B. go. I think it added a little more dimension to Swearingen. Mm-hmm. Was uh, the actor who played Braun, was he in the main credits, the main title? No, he wasn't. Okay. That should have been a clue. <laughs> I can't remember if it was on one of your shows in the Facebook group or somewhere else that I learned that the actor that plays Braun is also the actor that plays Kane on Supernatural. Kim as Kane, it's just, it's weird because... I still don't believe it. I'm looking at it on IMDb, and I don't believe it. Because he's such a dandy in this? Well, and I've seen him in other things, and he's never like this grizzled, scary, awesome guy. And Kane is scary and grizzled. I haven't seen um, the musical thing. The Oh, I haven't seen that either. Because he was... The guy who was in Supernatural was the same one that was in the, the other. And if they're all the same person, I'm... I'm just really surprised because I, he's, as you said, he's looking so grizzled. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, before we talk about Brom, does anyone have any other additional notes about E.B. and Al? I feel like Al let E.B. live because he feels that E.B. is more useful to him alive, and E.B. did not intend to sell to the competing interest. It's just E.B. didn't think things through. Mm-hmm. It was an innocent kind of mistake. I'm not sure it has that as much to do with that as the fact that he just thinks he can use him. He can still use him. Well, he saw how nervous E.B. Mm-hmm. got, how he folded so so quickly and gave gave himself away. This is a guy that's pliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where where E.B. is a threat is because E.B. does not think things through. He could he could endanger Al in, in some like he just did. Yeah. That's why he's a threat. But. Does, he doesn't see uh, uh, E.B. as being malicious. Mm. Anyway, E.B. is very lucky. So, yes. we are at the claim. Ellsworth is with his doggy. Oh, he's a cute doggy. <laughs> and he spots Brahm and Dan hiking to the top of the rim. When they get to the top, one scary look from Dan and Brahm knows what's coming. He <laughs> begs Dan, no! But Brahm is tossed over. Then at the bottom of the gulch, Dan... Well, he picks up like a, a hunk of rock. He looks at it. Then he wipes some mud away. I don't know if you guys immediately suspected what had happened. Mm, I had a feeling. Yeah, yeah but 
He spots something under that mud. Then he picks Brahma up by the hair and slams his face into the rock and just kills him. Okay. And a witness to this, Ellsworth. Did Dan know that he, Ellsworth, Ellsworth was there? Good question, because I'm not sure. I don't sure. think he knew. So I don't oh. think so, because otherwise he would have mentioned it to Al. Probably, yeah. He would have said there was a witness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But their claims were adjacent. Yeah. So he probably... He may have a suspicion that Ellsworth was in the area and watching. Mm. Yeah. Well, and that's why he was doing it all quiet, like too. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. It might they, be something to follow follow up on. Surprised they didn't check out the rim like they said previously before they try. They assumed this claim was dry and tried to sell it off. <laughs> I, I, can we talk about Brom's last words <laughs> or last word? Okay. The last word. Yeah. Mother, what a weenie! Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mother, mother, mother. <laughs> uh, a very uh, Daffy Duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, he was pretty out of it so, by that point. So, what did you guys make of this? Of Brom being killed? Were you shocked? Yes. I just I like how Dan did it because he was like he was like just shoved him and then he was like shh it's okay it's gonna be okay shh. I think he said you fell. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, I like how he said you had a little bit of a tumble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, it'll be fine. Yeah, why is he saying all this? At least he's considerate. I think he's just maybe like, I just didn't in case. mistaken. Maybe, I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. <laughs> <laughs> fell on your own. Dan, Dan isn't a sadistic kind of a guy. He's He's pretty... I think he's, yeah, I think he's kind of soft-hearted, even though he's a killer. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he did cry when he was supposed to kill the little girl. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, and he's never tried to make anyone suffer, either. So maybe he was just trying to calm them down. But yeah. I will say, like, I was thinking when he said that, I was like, oh, he's not going to kill him. He's going to he's gonna bring him to the doctor. And then, no, no, he's going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I get the feeling with Dan. It's a job. He has to do it. He's not happy. He has to do it. So he, you know, he tries to do, do it in as, as reasonable a way as possible. He doesn't want people to suffer or, or yeah. anything like that. Brom was making some gross noises. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a punctured lung in there. At least. Yeah. He was in bad well, shape. Well, rest in peace, Brom Garrett. Mm. We hardly knew you. Yeah. True. <laughs> At the Bella Union, Bill is playing poker. Cy wants Eddie to make sure that Bill wins so that Bill will return. Leon is well on the path, mm -hmm. the hero heroin opium path. Mm -hmm. It's revealed that Cy has been aware that Leon has been approached by Al to spy on them, and Eddie hopes that Leon is not too fucked up to be their double agent. Mm -hmm. So he's giving him opium as well? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Or at least he's not paying for his opium at the moment. <laughs> he's so just now, letting him take the other guy. And Leanne says something like, there ain't opium made yet that can fuck me up that bad. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. So my one question is, um, Bill's playing cards at the Bell Union. Didn't Charlie secure an exclusive deal for him at the other place? Bill didn't take it. And also, I don't think Bill I think Bill would know about it if Charlie did. No, Bill doesn't know about it. Yeah, I know that know much. About it. Well, no, Charlie tried to get Bill to agree to it and, and oh. Bill told him not to don't you know not to well I remember Bill telling him after the like the day after he's like and don't try and set up any deals or scams and he's like oh I wouldn't do that Bill even though he already did yeah I think he had already done this at yeah. this point and, and told Tom Nuttall the owner of the number 10 that this is all 
on the on the quiet. Yeah. And Nuttall said something like, and obviously there's a little cut for you, and that's when Charlie got really offended because when I originally saw that scene, that's what I thought. Oh, he's taking advantage of his friendship with Bill, but now I see that everything Charlie does for Bill it really is just for Bill. Yeah. Yep. yep. And that that the cut that Charlie is taking is uh is probably going to Bill's wife or just going into Bill's a stash that he keeps for Bill. Yeah. Yeah. That he can't probably feels like he can't give Bill, otherwise Bill will spend it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what he said to the guy. Yeah. And and he seems a pretty straight up guy. Charlie. He does. He seems like a really good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um did you notice that the uh, the new saloon is going to make sure that Hickok wins. Mm. Yes. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, that's a way to keep him there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's too smart for that. He's going to realize that something's up. And I don't think he'll like it. No, I'm, I don't think so. I'm not sure he's going to No, he d- I don't think he's going to I think he's going to go back. <laughs> yeah. Vanity does funny things to people's powers of observation sometimes. Mm. I don't think so. You let him win a few hands, probably more than he normally does. Mm. Gives him a sense that maybe his luck is different at this place. Exactly. And that's yeah. all you need to do. You don't. He doesn't. Let, don't let him win every hand, but right. just enough to keep him playing there. Playing there versus over at the number ten. I feel like something's gonna go bad there. You shall see. People are gonna die. Uh, at the Bella Union? Sure. Oh, everybody. <laughs> everybody. everybody. You're going to get your apocalypse one way or another. Yes. <laughs> the apocalypse I've been so desperately waiting for. It's a, an <laughs> apocalypse contained completely with one establishment. Yes. <laughs> so Jane explains to the squarehead girl the sleeping arrangements <laughs> that she may have to move her to the floor if Bill comes in, and should she awake during the night and find Jane and Bill in bed together, it's just grown-up sleeping. See, she's already written her fanfiction. Yeah. She has. It's so cute. She's like, well, you know, it's completely respectable. We're just too big for the ballot. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know she's sitting there going, I hope he lets me sleep with him. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Even if it's just a cuddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So in our final scene, Trixie is performing a pedicure on Al, shaving his calluses. Al tells her that he's grateful for all the beatings he gets, because when you have the trust beat out of you, that's when you know how the world really is. Dan knocks, and Al sends Trixie out to the balcony. This is when she spots Alma across the way, and Mm. overhears, my guess is overhears their conversation. Dan tells Al that the dude is dead, but he died owning a hell of a gold strike. Then, when Dan leaves, Trixie comes back inside, offers to do the other foot. Alice says, please, that gives her a look. That so suggests... Good. I'm not sure what it suggests. I was going to ask you what you thought. First of all, do you think that Trixie overheard Dan and Al? Yes. 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 I feel like the way they did close-ups of their mouths and, and kind of immediately cut to her was indicating that she was listening to their conversation. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I, I think would so. think. I mean, she's so close. But. She didn't shut the door. Yeah, what's she going to do with this information? And what do you make of her looking at Alma? Making, do you think there's a, a connection there? or I'm hoping the women rise up in this town and get some power. That would be neat, but I don't know. Yeah, historically, I'm not so sure that would be... It'd be great, that. though. It'd be great fan oh. fiction. <laughs> yeah, 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 it'd be great, but I'm not sure that that's... Maybe not like overt power like everybody can see it, but like secret behind-the-scenes power. Yeah. yeah. Which did happen. That's... 
various points. Where people are repressed, they get sneaky. Yeah. I like what, Mel, I like what you said when we were watching that scene when Dan knocks on the door. <laughs> what did I say? Well, he knocks on the door and then uh, Al says, come in, sit down. And you're like, come in, sit down, do my corns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so the- okay, you take a foot and you take a foot. <laughs> <laughs> the The scraping of the foot, though, like, they still do that. Um, if you go to like many, many petty places, um, generally you have to buy your own materials or, you know, they keep them just for you, but there's still like, they're kind of safety and they've got a guard on them, but you can get your calluses like razor off. Mm. And it's, I, I would see women getting it done like all the time. Really? Okay. So all I could think of now is Frank Costanza. Saying, yeah. nobody touches my feet! My feet! <laughs> exactly. I don't take my shoes off. I don't take my socks off. Nobody touches my feet. <laughs> but yeah, like, and, and one of the other things is, um, it can be dangerous, especially if you have diabetes or thyroid issues or there's a couple of like health complications that you can't just go to a manicurist and have that done if you need things removed you have to go to a podiatrist because uh you have less sensation in your feet or something i'm not sure what the risk is scrape it raw oh yeah well i don't know if they they don't scrape it raw but they scrape it till it's thinner all i know is i like my calluses so i i'd like to keep them (laughs) they're good for kicking with (laughs) well they're good for sliding across the mat yeah (laughs) otherwise it hurts (laughs) paul macklesom who plays trixie Mm. says, there is one scene I recall that made me feel this is going to change Trixie's destiny. Swearingen was talking about his problems, you know, like he does. Yeah. And it was a wonderfully written scene, but it didn't have any direction. David often says they're lying in bed, they're smoking, etc., etc. So we know what we're going to do. But there wasn't any of that there. So at lunch, David asks me, what do you think we're gonna be, you're going to be doing there? And I said, I want to do something with the feet. My dad used to shave the calluses off my grandmother's feet. Oh, wow. Get a nice, big, straight razor. There's so many implications with that. There's intimacy. There's a biblical sort of thing to it. In the scene, I hid the, hid the razor when somebody knocked on the door because that's private and I was protecting him. If people saw it, they'd realize that Al had this vulnerability. Trixie knows that he does. I was coming back into the room and I said, shall I do the other foot? Ian looked at me and said, please. The minute he said, please, I knew it was a new place for us. Mm. Hmm. That that's was it. really cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I, I had noticed the please, and I thought, you know, the interesting, you know, I mean, he orders people around, especially her, all the time, and to use that when he really didn't need to mm-hmm. struck me at the time. When you said that about how he uses her, another question I was going to ask you, folks: What do you make of the relationship? I know you haven't seen too much of them, but between Cy Tolliver and Joni Stubbs at the Bella Union, do you think they have a similar relationship as Alan Trixie? Is it no. better? Is it worse? It seems more like equal. Well, yeah. 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 Okay. They feel like more like might... husband and wife to me. She looks like she has more confidence. She looks like yeah. she might manage that whole thing and he might keep his fingers out of it. <laughs> yeah, like she needs him because he can actually buy stuff and own land. He's like a puppet to her. Well, I don't know if it's a puppet, but they're definitely partners. Yeah, that's what they struck me as, is more, yeah. much more partners. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any any theories about Trixie and Alma? Because that was an interesting look. Does Trixie feel for Alma? 
That's what I was wondering. Mm. Does Trixie think Alma might be her ticket out of here? Does she want to get out of there? I don't know. It's got to be a weird thing to hear that this woman's husband was just murdered mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. looking right at her. Mm. Well, and, and he was murdered and there's gold on the claim. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm like sprouting this crack theory, like, I don't know, maybe the reason why Alma was so unhappy in her marriage is she's a lesbian and that would be fun. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that would be, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> you mean having a husband like Brom isn't enough to make you unhappy in a marriage? Yeah. Yeah, well. I guess maybe Trixie does want out because, I mean, she is scraping at Al's corns or calluses <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Um, that does not, not a. You know what? I should say at first when they, fr- you know, when they first came on that scene, like I thought that Trixie was shaving Al's legs because his <laughs> legs are so bare. There's no hair on his legs. It's really weird. He's he's a professional swimmer on the side. <laughs> <laughs> he swims in the mud. <laughs> oh. That's why he's so dirty. He does the backstroke through the thoroughfare. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, something else, like, I thought it was interesting that he was talking about beating people up or something so that you can trust them. I don't know if I misunderstood. He was talking about the beatings that he gets. Oh, the beatings that he gets? Yeah. Well, he's saying that to her while her face is all black and blue. Yeah. Right. Yep. You know, that's kind of weird. Yeah. It's like, appreciate those bruises. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I, that's basically what it sounded like. It sounded like, you know, I can, it almost sounded like he was telling her he could trust her because he beat her up so much i don't know know. am i looking too much into this or no No, i think think you're right i think you're right actually and it hadn't occurred to me but he might be saying to her you know i beat you to teach you yeah and i letting you do my feet because i trust you yeah i'm making you a stronger woman yeah maybe there's also a threat in there too like don't betray me Mm-hmm. I'm giving you the tools and the trust. Well, he's don't always turn on me. Yeah, as long, he's always threatening everybody. As long as he doesn't try to change her name to Reek, I guess we're okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Reek, uh-huh. it rhymes with meek. <laughs> it's, it's almost as though everything Al says has multiple meanings, really. Mm. Well, let's revisit your predictions from last episode. <laughs> Mel predicted that the doctor would become a proctologist and give the camp's first colonoscopy. He wasn't even in this episode. No, he was, he was like for in there like one scene. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, he was. He told them about uh, Al and finding another solution to the problem. Yeah, and then he spent the rest of the episode doing the first colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. It was off screen. <laughs> didn't yeah, get it was to see off it. screen, so I still win. <laughs> <laughs> Matt thought they would be scouting out new territories. They kind of did. Mm, metaphorically, maybe. Oh, they went to the rim of the claim, and it, obviously they'd never been there because they noticed gold that they didn't notice before. Huh? They reconnoitered huh? the rim! Well, they it wasn't really on the rim, though. It was down the... No, it was at the top. Side. They, went, they went to the top, then he got pushed off, and then they found the gold at the bottom, actually. Yeah, they, they found the gold where he had ended up he, yeah. when he got pushed off the cliff. He scouted like, the on the cliff wall. He scouted the top of the cliff, discovered it was a good place to push somebody to their death. <laughs> Actually, Matt, I think in the first episode, you said something like, I bet that claim has gold on it. Yeah, I did say that. Yeah. But so, I thought, yeah, he did. I thought, Brom points. To, I thought Brom would get to reap the benefit of it, but I guess not. <laughs> mm. What do you think is going to happen? 
uh, with that gold claim. Well, now there's going to be a fight over yeah. who owns it, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and hopefully, hopefully Alma can get it. Yeah, I think Alma's going to have to if she can't own it because she's a woman, she's going to like find somebody to be her her business dealer. Mm-hmm. Or if she can own it, then she's going to hire somebody to work it. Who who might that be? Somebody we haven't met or somebody in the camp already? Mm, not sure. Wild Bill. <laughs> he's, not, he's not he doesn't hire out though. <laughs> well, didn't he come oh. there? Didn't he come there to pan for gold? He did. He did. He but he hasn't picked yet. a claim yet. Quote, pan for gold. Yeah. He's panning in a different way than other yeah, people. Yeah, he doesn't he hasn't even started yet. He's panning by playing cards. <laughs> no, Ellsworth not. is a possibility. Uh Seth is a possibility. I don't know. I just she's gonna have to leave her room first. <laughs> mm. yeah. That's that's a big ask. <laughs> you know, the thing She's gonna is- have to sober up first, I would think. Yeah, that too. I, you know, even though I think it'll make a better story if all of the things that you're talking about happen, it seems like the first thing Swearingen would do once the guy comes in all beat up like that is to go to Alma and want to make restitution so that she, you know, out of the sympathy of his heart, so she could go back home and offer to buy the claim from her to, as I say, just a- out of sympathy for her plight. Maybe. Mm. And get yeah. rid of her. Well, that would be the smart thing that Al's probably going to try to do. I just have a feeling that she's around for a while. Well, the, only, she- the only way she can find out, basically, that there is gold on that claim is if Trixie tells her, base, I think. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. how else she could find out. Mm. Or Ellsworth. Uh, does he know there's gold on the claim? Well, he was there. He watched him. He might, he might know, or he might go over to to the spot where he was killed, and then see, you know, pick up the quartz and go, "Hey, hang on, there's some gold in there." Mm. If he saw the way Dan was acting, the same way we did, yeah, recognize it as somebody who found gold, you know, right away, because that is what they're all doing is looking for gold. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree that I think she's going to be around for a while. I don't know how that gulf between Trixie and Alma can be breached, really. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know how. Yeah, they're gonna throw paper airplanes at each other with <laughs> secret messages back and forth. <laughs> or there's the whole slash crack pairing where you know Alma's a lesbian and and and, and she starts hiring out uh, Trixie. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, do, do they do that? Do they actually go to people's homes? They make house calls? They make house calls. <laughs> they might, yeah. Hmm. I would think so. That, that'd be considerate of them. I didn't think Al wanted to let any of his whores out of his sight. Yeah, well, well he, he doesn't have to worry much because Trixie's just making money on the side because she's like, oh, no, I'm just going and talking to that nice lady over there. I mean, we couldn't possibly be doing anything because women don't like sex. Mm. And then, you know. She's, she's, she's working something on the side there. Hmm. Or maybe Trixie tells Ellsworth or hints to Ellsworth or something. And then Ellsworth goes and does something because they kind of have a rapport as well. I don't know. See, now I can only think of Jerry Blaine from Strangers with Candy and her poem where she says, <laughs> when you work from your home and John's call on the phone, you're a call girl. When you walk to your limp and you give a cut to a pimp, you're a street whore. 
<laughs> when they're begging you, please, to get down on your knees near their groinage. Excuse me, but you see, don't you touch where they pee without coinage. <laughs> <laughs> I I love strangers with candy. <laughs> The fact that you have that poem memorized I is kind of awesome. <laughs> I love that show so much. It's, I am going to do a podcast about that at some point. <laughs> that's a code that Matt lives by. <laughs> I, I, try and, I, try and, well, I try and work it into any conversation. <laughs> Today's a good day. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol's prediction was that Al Swearingen would try to see how far he could push Seth. Which he didn't. Which he didn't. But we'll give a point for Matt because he predicted way back that the the gold claim would pay off. I'm oh, glad that gold these, in them hills. <laughs> glad that these predictions carry over. Uh-huh. I'm a generous person. So <laughs> You have to be. You have to be. Only one person died this episode. It was Brahm got pushed off a cliff by Dan Doherty and then had his face smashed into the rock. I can't remember what my prediction Me for neither. body count was. You predicted two, Carol predicted three, Mel predicted three dogs, a pig, and one human. <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's right, she did. I, I, must, I guess the dogs and the pig happened off screen yep. when Doc was doing the colonoscopy. <laughs> By the way, I'm so happy that the dogs that we saw survived. Oh, yes. Yes. Thanks to Mel. <laughs> excitedly right now, guys. <laughs> I'm so happy I won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, let's jump into feedback. Start with some audio feedback from... We'll do Wills first. Well, I love you too, Matt. You're my boy. You're my boy. Uh, hey, guys, this is my feedback from Reconnoitering the Rim. Now, you guys talk about reconnoitering the rim like it's a bad thing. It doesn't have to be. So that's why this episode is like... I'm kidding. But like this episode, it's a lot of the same good stuff. We also had some new arrivals. I knew that Cy Tolliver and Joni would be showing up sooner or later, but I didn't know which episode it would be. And Cy Tolliver, uh, one of the reasons I like him is because of his name, Powers Booth. It's like <laughs> one of the best names in show business. I put it ahead of Reed Diamond, which is my second favorite showbiz name. <laughs> and Hoopleheads. Ah, there it is. <laughs> so was Al setting aside an area for farting? <laughs> it yes. reminds me of a sketch I saw in Portlandia once where they had a fart patio where you could go outside and pass gas when you needed to. <laughs> there's just so much in each episode. They're so dense, like you guys have been saying. So this episode, with all its new arrivals, just made me think of, you know, like when things are going good, but you invite a third person into your bedroom just to <laughs> spice things up a little bit. And you lick each other's butts, and it's all good, and it's fun. So, that's all I have for this week, folks. And I will talk to you guys later. I believe I'll go pass out now. Bye. Uh, you abandoned us. I, I think Will has been reading some of James Joyce's love letters. <laughs> uh, well, you're going to have to use those as research for future <laughs> But I actually, I did a fist pump when he when he did his rating. I was like, yes, that's so great. <laughs> Matt, that's Will's it. feedback on this show is just yeah. 
so shocking and awesome because he never lets go like that on no he doesn't (laughs) (laughs) yes it's very it must be very freeing for will yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um but yeah matt that's it we're getting a fart patio okay (laughs) (laughs) i've decided we're gonna shell out the money for this thing (laughs) No more using the kitchen like a slob. <laughs> in the kitchen, that's where you make your food. <laughs> Who are you kidding? It happens everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, we should open that door. <laughs> All right, some feedback from Harold. Mel, want to read this one? Brahm is our big loser of the week. He should have proceeded cautiously, as advised by Wild Bill and Charlie, and he should have gone to get an independent inspection of the claim. Had he done those things, he would be alive and the owner of a gold claim. True. Al is our second biggest loser of the week. He heard the word Pinkerton and freaked out. He could have just bought back the claim to keep Garrett quiet, and if he had, he would have had the gold claim. Plus, for all his worrying about Bullock and Star... There is now an upscale house of prostitution and gaming right across the street from the gem, and his own ally, E.B. Farnham, was the go-between who made it happen. The next biggest loser is anyone who sits down to play cards when Ricky J. is the dealer. Hmm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the biggest winner has to be E.B. He wasn't killed by Al, Wild Bill, Jane, or anyone else. <laughs> Can you be killed by... Se- yeah, I guess you could be killed by several people. <laughs> I have to admit that when I watched Deadwood for the first time, I was convinced that Cy Tolliver was played by the same actor who played John Bly. <laughs> they kind of look similar if you adjust for age and weight gain. Yeah. Do, do they? I didn't notice. I didn't notice. I'll have to take a closer Second look next look. time. Yeah. I think he's just appealing to the Melmat vote. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. <laughs> I vote for Harold. Yes. <laughs> Whatever we're voting for. Anyways, th- thank you, Harold. <laughs> by the way, I think it's funny that it took you guys so long to realize where Hoople came from, that it came from Hooplehead. I said it at the beginning of every episode. It's also in our banner on our Facebook page. No, it's, it's been we, there for like three but, months. But it so didn't have context. Yeah. We, we, don't, we just don't know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You're saying we're a bunch of dummies, aren't you, Matt? <laughs> uh, yeah, I love how there's thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You don't uh, have to. Uh, this one's from Ina. I will read it. Okay. Hi. Hi, idiots! I'm so happy you're doing an intro cast. <laughs> no, she says she says hoopleheads, but now we know the context. Uh, I'm so happy you're doing an intro cast on one of my favorite TV shows of all time. This way, I get an excuse to rewatch this fantastic series one more time. I love it. Oh, uh, Matt, you threw your arms up, John Bly style. <laughs> uh, this this episode was great. Uh, I'm very interested to see how Al will deal with the presence of Cy Tolliver and the new saloon in town. Loved how E.B. made Al realize there are better ways than killing and burning things down. Also, I love seeing Calamity Jane with a little girl. Owe you a fucking penny. Owe you another one. <laughs> Wild Bill had some great scenes, too, in the poker game with Jack McCall, with Charlie and Brom Garrett, and helping the hardware boys build their store. He's so tired and weary, you can hear it in his voice. Great work from Keith Carradine. Mm. Oh, poor stupid Brom Garrett. When someone takes you to reconnoiter the rim at pitch dark at night, you should see the betrayal coming. But alas, there's there's gold there after all. 
and Ellsworth saw the whole thing. What now? Will they take him out as well? The scene at the end was nice, I thought. Al trusts Trixie, has affection for her, and even says please. I give this episode 9 out of 10 cunt mouths. <laughs> Ina from Norway. Nice. Nice, Ina. <laughs> I never thought I would uh, see Ina type out cunt mouth. I don't know. She seems like such a nice lady. I want to hear, hear her say it. <laughs> yes. Ina, you're going to have to send us a, an MP3 record of your, like, your voice like saying cunt mouth. Or, yeah. Well, she is a guest in a future episode. Yes. We'll make her say cunt as many times as possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Next is uh, some voice feedback from Moira. Hi, Hooplecast. It's Moira with my feedback for Reconnoitering the Rim. Um, I think the opening sequence between uh, Jack McCall and Bill Hickok at cards is interesting because Jack just doesn't know when to back off. I, I was amazed at how rude he was to Bill and how far he kind of pushed it. Um, and was glad Bill finally won a round of cards. Um, but I was thinking, even when we watch how, how Bill is uh, portrayed through this whole episode, he's got the curse of celebrity thrust upon him, wherein other men seem to perceive him with a mixture of both awe and skepticism. It's it's a bit of a curse. So, you know, he seems to be a target. He's a target of, of jealousy, I suppose, on the part of other people. And um, they just never leave him be. It's almost like the late 1880s version of what it's like to be a celebrity. Um, it's just a little peak, and I suppose it shows you human nature hasn't changed much, right? Um, yeah, he's not allowed to just be a normal guy. I thought it was interesting in terms of Brahm and Alma that Brahm is, is really a lot slower on the uptake. I mean, despite Alma's opium-induced haze, she's seeing things more clearly than he is. She realizes going up against elsewhere engines not a not a wise move. Um, and he should have listened to her. He should not have been up on that rim with Dan. Because, yeah, not not a smart move. I thought the scene where Dan finishes him off with the rock was quite chilling, um, quite brutal, very effectively done. And Ellsworth witnessed that, and I do wonder whether that fact will come into play uh, at some point down the road. I, I don't know. Ellsworth knows enough to keep his mouth shut, but it's just interesting that they, they chose to let us see that Ellsworth was a witness. I love all the scenes between Calamity Jane and that little girl. They're really well done. It's really very sweet seeing how she dotes upon her. And it's just a little ray of hope in an otherwise somewhat <laughs> uh, difficult town. I mean, a town lacking in simple pleasures and joy. Everything always has a sinister bent to it, it seems. And we have the introduction of... Cy Tolliver and and the madam Joni Stubbs. Um, hey, and I was glad to see her. I was watching the latest uh, installment of House of Cards and saw this character Katie, the reporter, and thought, where have I seen her before? And if she isn't Madam Joni Stubbs, so thank you for that because it was kind of bugging me that I didn't know, you know, uh, in what she had previously appeared. Anyway, overall, this was a you know a solid episode. It wasn't earth shattering. It didn't. Uh, it didn't really have super excitement. It was more setting up who the new players are for future episode purposes, but it was solid. Um, so I'm going to give it, I think, just um, a 6 out of 10 droopy-eyed loudmouth card players. All right, till next time. Bye. It's Moira. Thank you, Moira. Alma is also in House of Cards. 
Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. She was in uh, last season. I haven't watched this season yet. No, me neither. No, we we watched last season. We haven't Not watched this season. We haven't watched this new season yet. Yeah. By the way, the supernatural intro cast is called Idget Cast. Idget yeah. being a, another insult. So <laughs> we're similar in that fashion. And I'd love to say add a little bit more on that, but unfortunately I can't. They're so close to figuring it out. All right. <laughs> Isn't it, isn't it just? Isn't it just when you say "idiot" real fast? Yes, <laughs> yes. But there's an in-show reference that they haven't gotten to yet. Oh, yeah. so yeah, it has to do with the character and everything. Yes, yeah. but the yeah. the theme song is in the theme song is you know you're a bunch of idiots you don't even know but you'll get it later. <laughs> yeah. Right. Last bit of feedback is from Robin. Nutty. Oh, let's make Nutty read one. Okay. I like to put my guests to work. <laughs> So this is from which Robin? Oh, this is from Robin Burge. Burge, okay. Formerly of Blockbuster. Robin Burge or Robin Hudson. So, you know, male, female. It, it makes a difference. <clears throat> uh, the subject is a job on the rim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey there, Hoopleheads. The price of celebrity is getting pretty rough for old Bill. I'm just counting down to the... Last few minutes before the man just loses his shit and goes on a shooting rampage. Droopy-eyed days are numbered. (laughs) Can't believe that poor kid's still in town. I assume Jane and what's-his-face. Oh, wait, there's a handy visual guide. Charlie would have (laughs) had that kid shipped off somewhere, but I guess it makes sense that the threat of danger is gone for her now. Still, is Jane going to have that mute sidekick for the rest of the show? Could she be deaf because of Jane's incessant bellowing or just frightened into silence by Jane's sudden mood swings? <laughs> this show just got a hundred times better with the addition of Powers Booth, Kim Dickens, and Ricky Jay. I really, really hope they last. The casting director better have gotten a raise. <laughs> Rest in peace, Brom. You dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing up the Pinkertons was the worst idea ever. What's going to happen to Alma? Is she going to end up working for Trixie? I like that Molly Parker, so I hope she stays. And doesn't the name Molly Parker seem like an old Westie name? <laughs> the outlaw Mo- Molly Parker? Cactus Molly Parker. Sexy drunk and giving flirty eyes to Jane Molly Parker. <laughs> Between this and Justified, am I the only one who thinks that Oilifant has got the badass strut down? <laughs> It's like a whole upper body, uh, sorry, it's like his whole upper body doesn't move while his arms and legs glide beneath him, all while staring you down. (laughs) (laughs) I have to learn to do how to do that. (laughs) Lastly, I gotta say, he's an evil son of a bitch, but I keep rooting for swearing engine, especially with the new business in town. I'll swear engine, anti-hero, or supervillain. Discuss. Oh, and Matt? Fuck you too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I never. (laughs) Yeah, Molly Parker sounds like an Old West name. It does. Interestingly enough, Alma was the name of my great aunt, um, who was born in Missouri and raised in Oklahoma. Oh, neat. And do we think of... Elsewhere Engine as a villain or an anti-hero? Villain. Uh, he's a villain right now. I think villain, too. Mm-hmm. He's a bad man. He's somebody you want to give a wide berth to. Yeah. 
Well, that's it for feedback. Once again, awesome. Thank you very much, Will, Harold, Ina, Moira, and Robin. Yes, thank you. Hmm. Who wants to rate the episode? Let's have a guest go first. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I like this episode. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's kind of even with, uh, the other episodes. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it, uh, I'm not, I'm trying to decide if I want to give it a seven and a half or an eight. So I don't know, 7.75 out of 10. Smiling Janes. Oh, Carol? I feel kind of like these three. I, I feel the same about each one of them. I like them all. I don't feel like any of them is a breakout or, and I don't dislike any of them. So I'm going to keep on with, I believe I've been saying seven. Um, seven out of ten naughty French words. Kia coupe le fromage. You've been saying eight out of ten actually all along. I have? Yeah, do you want to stick with eight or do you want to go seven? I'm going to give seven. Seven. So I'm going to go down a, down a little peg. All right. Matthew. What have I been saying? Oh, you've been saying eight and then seven and a half. Okay. Uh, well, I feel the same about what, about it, like, uh, Carol and uh, Nutty said, um, how it's kind of like even with the past two, but I, I feel like since this is the third episode and I know the characters better, I enjoyed it more than the previous ones, even though I think it is, you know, on a quality scale about the same. But I just enjoyed myself more this time, so I'm going to give it a uh, 8.5 out of 10 splattered dandies. Oh. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I, I guess I'm kind of on the same page as you, Matt. Yeah. Where, yeah, I feel like, and plus I read the transcript, so I kind of had more knowledge of what was going on. And I was, I can't, this show is so wordy that I just cannot take notes and watch at the same time. Mm. I, I think I have to just watch it and, and then it. take notes <laughs> from the transcript because that worked way better for me this time. Mm. Yeah, because usually every time I watch this show, I have a terrible time with notes. I just hate it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 gently scraped off corns. <laughs> oh. I was going to do Bar that. Calluses. What? I was going to do that one. I'm glad. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad I chose something else so I didn't oh. feel your system. Oh, that's right. You already did yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect then. Yes. Well, I really like this one. Of the three, it's easily my favorite. I think it's because several of my favorite characters just showed up and losing Brom, I mean, that was shocking to me when I first saw it, to lose what seemed to be in such a instrumental character so soon. Big surprise. I loved all the scenes with Jane and Bill and the girl, and this episode just, it was dense. It, and also the whole EB-L thing, the way that they intercut between EB and Al and Brom and Dan, and the, they used the music to heighten the tension. I thought it was really well done. I'm going to go super high and give this one nine and a half out of ten Elsewhere engines doing the backstroke through the mud. Ah! <laughs> it's all I can think about right now. <laughs> nice. In a speedo. I just, I just really, really like. The, it feels like the show has found its pace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it was very 
dense. Yeah, maybe, so, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not all on equal uh, quality. Maybe this one actually is better, and that's why I enjoyed it more. Well, I just I find, it, no, but I find they're all like very consistent, though. Like, yeah, like yeah. quality-wise, and I think that's not a bad thing, but like every episode is going to speak to you differently anyways. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I initially was a little ambivalent about doing episode ratings because they do kind of feel like one isn't any better yeah. or worse than the other ones, yeah. but you know, it's kind of a thing that all the intro casts do, and it's a good time for people to kind of summarize their feelings about it. Yeah. yeah. The numbers are arbitrary. Yeah. But, anyway. Yeah. Nutty, who's your character of the episode? If you could give the award to a single person, who would you give it to? Oh, it's going to be Jane, which is probably going to be my answer for most episodes <laughs> so okay. far, because I love her so much. All right. Carol? I have to go with Jane on this one. Yeah, definitely. Um, she just had such... Every scene she was in was memorable. And her dealings with the little girl, with trying not to swear, her her just giggliness at the idea of sharing a room with, with Bill and what that might mean. You know, it was just... Um, yeah... She was she was quite charming. Okay. Matt? Uh, I'm going to change it up, and I'm going to go with Charlie. I liked Charlie trying to set up the dinner date and trying to take care of Bill and just okay. being, all, being all cute asking Seth and Saul on a date. <laughs> all right. Well? <laughs> uh, I, I like Charlie, too, but I also like Wild Bill. I don't know. You're gonna go I for- also like the soap guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Soap guy, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Soapy. <laughs> because I like, I like, I like how sneaky he is. Because he's like all like trying to do like these sneaky dealings, and then he barely skips a beat before he starts selling soap again. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I wish he had done the tip of the hat again when he was yes, done. I know. <laughs> he's a delightful man. Uh, well, I feel like I should give it to Brom because he's not gonna win <laughs> after this. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm going to give it to Jane. Oh. Because her whole... Just, she was so cute with that girl. Oh, you a penny. Oops. Oh, you another one. <laughs> and her, her smile when Bill told her that they could share the room. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Love, love him. <laughs> yep. She's so... She's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who has a quote? I have one. <laughs> okay. After Swearingen, uh makes a comment... Uh, with the F word in it, he says, uh, to, what's her name, Joan? And the, the new? Joni. Joni. Um, pardon my French. And she says, oh, I speak French. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and then he gives her a little look like, oh, this one. Mm. Yes. So my quote went with my, uh, rating system. Very good. Nutty, do you have a quote? I do. Let's see if I can do my best Ellsworth. He's down on that hole for a fact. Pitiful as you pursued him. You better hope he ain't got the space enough to roll around. Hold his side. Bust a gut laughing. Tell all the other woodchucks at the club this afternoon. He might not even call it an escape. Might just call it his morning's entertainment. (laughs) Nice. I want to go to the woodchuck club. Do you suppose the woodchucks and the beavers talk to each other? <laughs> Look at these guys. Look at I these hoopleheads. I suppose no, so. No, they have wars. The woodchuck- <laughs> oh, there's the famous woodchuck-beaver wars of 1876. 
I just want to see woodchucks and beavers. Oh, do you, do you suppose there's like a, a reverend woodchuck who's like, I found God that day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's like just, oh, there's just like a battlefield with like like dead woodchucks and beavers strewn upon <laughs> the grass. Aw. Oh. Blood I fa- everywhere. I found God that then- <laughs> He's a possum. <laughs> I looked up and there he was. And then one of the beavers is attempting the first colonoscopy. <laughs> yes. <Yep>. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe, you know, the old how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood came out of that war, you know? Aww. One of the theme songs. Yeah. The music lost to history. Yeah. yeah. I have my Battlestar Galactica uh, version of that expression. How many stars could a Starbuck buck if a Starbuck could buck stars? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, give us a quote. Uh, this one was like background dialogue. I don't even know if you guys all caught it, but I caught it because of the subtitles. Uh, it was when we were panning down from the sermon to the wagon train coming in and somebody yells, Let me see them titties! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you just stole my quote. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, yeah, happy one. Oh, didn't you already have a quote, Mel? Did I skip you? Yeah, you skipped her. Oh, go, go oh, ahead. No. Well, I was going to do that quote Sorry. in honor of International Women's Day, <laughs> but I wanted to do another one. <clears throat> Wild Bill. That drop eye of yours sure looks like the hood of a cunt to me, Jack. When you talk, <laughs> your mouth looks like a cunt moving. <laughs> <laughs> happy International Women's Day! <laughs> <laughs> that was my backup, so... <laughs> Well, mine is now Swearingen quote. It's the heat again, Brahm. I don't collude and I don't cahoot. I just love how he says cahoot. Yeah. And, yeah, and I picture him as an owl. Cahoot, 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 Any other quotes? I've only got one, one more. Whiskey, rum, snatch. <laughs> At which point Mel said, does anybody want to want to drink whiskey out of a snatch? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you they do that. <laughs> Sorry, I spaced out for a minute. Did anyone do the uh, fucking penny thing? No. Oh, okay, great. <clears throat> I owe you another fucking penny. Owe you another one. Aw, <laughs> oh, adorable. Yeah. I have I have one more quote here, and I'm okay. Just a bit. Hey, fuck nut. <laughs> uh, that literally made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Okay, this is E.B. walking into the Bella Union for the first time. My goodness! My heavens! My goodness gracious! Heavens to Betsy! He's getting the vapors. <laughs> Bring me my fainting couch! I'm having vapors! Yeah. No, wait! He- yes. <laughs> Sorry. Soap! Soap with the prize inside! <laughs> Oh, I want soap with a prize inside. I wonder what the prize was. I don't know. Guys, do you know? Do you uh, know what he uh, said? He said it was five dollars. Prize. Yeah. What kind of prize? Five dollars. Five dollar prize. Five dollar, like a bill. Like a vote. Probably. Is it a voucher? Except a lot of money during that time period was counterfeit. Oh. Hmm. So counterfeit money is the prize inside the soap. Monopoly money. (laughs) Aw. So maybe if you buy enough soap, you can actually play Monopoly. (laughs) <laughs> well, the, the the thing is, every every bar of soap has something in it, but not all of them have something worth value. 
So the fact that somebody was going around saying, I bought a bar of soap that have $5 in it, you know, yeah. makes people want to buy it. Maybe it's a golden ticket to a soap factory. That's an entire episode at the soap factory. <laughs> oh, my Please, because they Thumbtack. all need to wash. <laughs> <laughs> Take them all. Yeah. Yeah, one way to get people to buy soap. So my last one is from Al. I spit in my hand. Will that drive you screaming into the hills? He <laughs> <laughs> didn't spit in his hand. Yeah, Seth. Yeah. No, he didn't. No, I, I, I have a question. Like, his whole, like, I spit in my hand, is that going to drive you to the hills? Is that, like, another Jewish thing? No, he was saying that to Seth, wasn't he? Yeah, he said I, it to Seth. I thought he said it to Saul. Okay. Well, yes. I, in the beginning, in the pilot, he spent, or Tim Driscoll spat into his hand and then held his hand out to Brom. Right. I was like, what the fuck's his problem? <laughs> so Brom quickly spat in his hand and that's how it's done. And now I guess Al is just trying to say to Seth and Saul, are you two dandies as well? Or Oh, uh, okay. I took from it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, if no one has any other quotes, oh. Nutty, where can yes. people find you on the internet? Do you have a podcast or several? Yes, I do. I have a few. Um, you can find links to everything, including social media and my podcasts by going to nimlas.org and I am las.org. And there you can find the Nutty Bites podcast where we debate deep geeky topics and highlight things that are awesome within geek culture. Um, you can also listen to Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast that happens while the show is on the air and it is a spoiler free episode by episode podcast um you can also listen to me on epic which is another geeky centered uh podcast and also a radio show again everything can be found at nimlast.org you've got so many monikers you've got nutty you've got new chess i don't know what nimlast means but (laughs) you have to explain all this what is it what is a nimlast uh nimlast is an old joke from um my role-playing days where all right so um i used to kind of like pen and paper role play, except we would do it in chat rooms back in the day. Mm. And somebody came in and they're like, I don't know what all these acronyms mean. What is LOL? What is RTFLO? And all this <laughs> other stuff. And then, and one of the other gamers like, oh, and, and the most important one is to know, to know is Nimlas. And I'm like, Nimlas? What is Nimlas? And he's like, Nukchas is my lord and savior. And it became oh. this joke that there's this like cult Anyway, I registered the domain, and it's a lot easier for people to spell than Nuchas. Yeah. Nice. Is yeah. there a story behind Nuchas? Yeah, it, uh, back when I started role-playing, I was role-playing a Klingon character in Star Trek, and I thought that w- sounded like a Klingon name. Turns out it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it doesn't Turns out it's Klingon for Fluffy Bunny Rabbit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the really sad thing is the first four letters are a Klingon word, and it's not a, a, a word a Klingon would ever want to be called. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm very much looking forward to Beyond the Wall. Coming yeah. Back. I, I'm looking forward to it as well. I miss hanging out with everybody. So, yeah, if anyone likes to watch Game of Thrones, if you watch the episode, watch or listen to their podcast or watch them do it on Google Hangout and send in comments because you have nothing better to do that evening. <laughs> yes. So I'm talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Matt is is a regular Q&A person and it's awesome. <laughs> You're a lot of fun and very knowledgeable. Well, and plus with the Q&A we can get, you know, live questions and we kind of try to work it in there and it it gets to be very funny. Yeah, it, it offers a kind of a different 
perspective, mm. having to be able to ask you specifically, what did you think of this? If you didn't yeah. bring it up, we can, we could prompt you with our questions. Yeah. Especially cause we do have a newbie among us. And, um, he, he read the first book before we watched the show and then decided to keep himself spoiler free, uh, for all the seasons after that. So he hasn't read anything past the first book. So Chooch is our newbie. And so often we're all, well, Chooch, what did you think about this? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a lot of fun that way. Hmm. So Matt, Mel, have any podcasts you want to promote? No, you can do it. <laughs> All right. Let's fight. Um, <laughs> we got uh, Twin Peaks podcast. That's we're releasing things intermittently between now and when the show comes back. Um, intro to Briscoe. That's done now. But uh, if you if you don't have all the episodes downloaded and you want to uh, do it quick, I'm taking it down at the end of the month. <laughs> I don't want to pay for that forever. Um, oh, Matt, uh, talk to me after. Oh, I'll okay. help you. Okay. Uh, and, um, coming up, we got the Defenders podcast, which is going to be me and Mel and Robin and Claire, and we're all going to review the Netflix Marvel shows like Daredevil and Luke Cage and all that. Of which I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. It should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be an actual hooplehead there. <laughs> Carol? I'm still on McKinley cast, a Freaks and Geeks intro cast. We are still um, plugging along. <laughs> Let's just call it that. And um, another episode, I hope, should be out soon. And guesting here and there. Very good. I'm sorry, I've got too many podcasts. i got one more. <laughs> uh, we've also got What We Make, a Terminator podcast. I do, ah. that, with uh-huh. I do that with Will from the feedback. That's right. Yes. And... That's going to not, not just about the Terminator movies, but the Sarah Connor Chronicles as well. Yep. Everything Terminator. Well, maybe not everything. I don't think we're doing comic books. <laughs> should review the action figures and various <laughs> merchandising. Yeah. Yeah, you should play with the action figures. On this episode, we're going to review the Terminator 2 t-shirt from 1990. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll plug uh, Clone Dance Party, which is an Orphan Black podcast. I was just on episode two of season two, governed by sound reason and true religion. Mm-hmm. So that was a fun thing to record. It's out now. It's available now. And in two weeks, we will be discussing episode four, Here Was a Man. <gasps> Does anyone have any predictions? Somebody's going to die. What What was the name of it again? I'm sorry. It's Here Was a Man. That is, oh, yeah. that's epitaph, if I ever heard it. <laughs> if it was Here Was a Woman, then I would say it's an episode about Alma uh, getting a sex change. <laughs> because she wants to, you know, she needs to get that claim. So, <laughs> so she's gonna, she's gonna go see the doctor, and he's gonna perform a sex change on her. Well, maybe then she, <laughs> she gets to change back. Mm, no, she doesn't need to because you know she, she's in love with Trixie, and the only way that it'll be acceptable is if she's a man. So she'll just pretend that she's like a the new guy in town, and she'll just sweep Trixie <laughs> off her feet and. There you go. All right. That's Problem your predict- solved. Official prediction. Your lesbian love affair can happen. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it could be Brahms' whole funeral and such. Mm-hmm. Dealing with Brahm having... Oh, I mean, that sounds, that sounds awfully grand for who Brahm really was, but it sounds appropriate for his social position. And his estate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Matt? Oh, jeez. Um, 
Here was a man. I, I can't think of anything for that specifically, because <laughs> that's so general and broad. Uh, I'll just have to think of something for individual characters. I think maybe Al is going to make a move against the rival, um, the, what do you call it? Saloon? Hello Union? Yeah. Okay. I don't think he's going to try to burn it down so overtly. He's going to make some sort of sneaky underhanded move. Um, maybe Charlie will be gone and, uh, Bill will slide into further vices and get worse before he gets better. That's, that's all I got right now. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I think the- Nettie, you can offer a prediction too if you'd like. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, he's gonna be a funeral and I'm, overall prediction, I want Alma to be lesbian. I want <laughs> lesbians in this. And that's it. There you go. I, I think I should probably put forth actual prediction. If you yeah. want to win, <laughs> maybe. The whole episode is just going to be a funeral, and it's just going to be the Reverend talking the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I predict that Seth and Saul will be at the funeral. Because <laughs> yes. they go to all of them. There's yeah. going to be a lot of dirt shoveled. I bet Merrick asks about the funeral, and Seth says, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you that's going to happen, yes. I wasn't there, but I also don't want to talk about it. <laughs> 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 Body count. Body count? Mm. Well, maybe maybe this funeral is so long that people die of boredom. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so how many do people die of boredom? Mm. I think Seth will die of boredom. Seven? <laughs> no, Seth. Oh, Seth will... Seth and Saul will die of boredom they're, because... <laughs> they're not going to die of boredom. Yes, they are. <laughs> so, so you're going to go with two? two yes, people. and I'm Sounds good, Matt. Seth and Saul. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> All right. Well, we only had one death in this episode. Uh, I'm gonna go with two next up. Next time. Hey, I picked two. Oh yeah. Um, it's fine, Carol. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm gonna go with nobody's yep. gonna die. Oh. Zero. Awesome. I'm gonna go with the yeah. Buck in the odds. I've been totally wrong so far every time, so I may as well continue. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for for bringing the fact that Olbinson is the same guy from Supernatural. I can't, I could not put that together. I stared at his picture for a while now, and I I got it so that my brain can process, process it. it. Yeah, it's weird, right? <laughs> he, he just looks so grizzled. In yeah. you know, he I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> you got thrown off a cliff. <laughs> well, that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, somebody needs somebody who's really good at video editing needs to do an in memoriam when we're done with the season. <laughs> of everyone who died? Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be kind of cool. Mm. I, I could wonder, do it if I had the footage. <laughs> I wonder if it, it's somewhere. I wonder if someone's already done it. Have you checked? You do have footage. I. Not in file form, though. Oh. I feel like if somebody had done it, Matt would have know about it already. <laughs> Yeah, I want to. S- one would think, but I'm not sure if they have, or if I'm thinking of maybe Game of Thrones. I know Game of Thrones did one. Uh huh. Walking Dead does it every week. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, that was reconnoitering the rim, episode three. We seriously reconnoitered those rims. I'm glad yeah. we're done reconnoitering the rims. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode. Gotta, they're always long. I gotta go take a shower. <laughs> I feel dirty. <laughs> Oh my gosh, somebody on my friends list just posted a picture of Sassafras. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> you ask? No, it's just so random. I asked my feed just now. You should share it well, if you can. We've I come find full it again. circle. We've come full circle with the sassafras here at the end of the episode. I forgot to mention that I did create a, a character biography sheet. I posted it in the Facebook group. If we have any new listeners who need like a primer on, on who's who, they can check that out. It's also available on the website, hooplecast.com. That's where all the uh, show notes and mp3s are or search for us on itunes or using your favorite pod catching app hooplecast hooplecast.com send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com i think that's everything so thank you for joining us nutty thank you for having me and we'll see you in two weeks for episode four here was a man bye fuck you (laughs) (laughs) every time yep You said that last time, and I said yes. And then uh, a friend of mine, he does Eido, which is uh, all katana.
it's uh, the art of drawing and uh, putting away your katana, really. Uh-huh. Or, uh, in other words, it's the um, uh, when someone's about to p- commit seppuku, mm-hmm. Iaido is uh, what his second does to make sure that he actually does it and finishes the job. So after someone commits seppuku, an Iaidoist will then come and behead Hello. to make sure he's dead. Yeah. Hi, hi guys. Hi. hi, that was lovely to come in on. It was. <laughs> Did you catch the part about the beheading? Yeah, what are you guys planning to do to us? <laughs> well, if you weren't on time, we were making <laughs> contingency plans. <laughs> I can't wait to watch you die, Matt. <laughs> Why do you think you're not part of their murder plans? Well, I'll be last, obviously, because they like me better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what you think. And she'll just blame you and throw you under the bus, you know. I would have been here on time, but, you know, Matt. <laughs> Kill him. What I'm saying is I will not grieve you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> After I just helped you cut all those vegetables. Oh, you're so oh. nice. <laughs> uh, stabbed you when I had the chance. <laughs> you, are, you are a sucker. What can I say? <laughs> uh. Did you have troubles? I was, um, the best word, adjusting the... The modem, the new modem, and the the router with the cable provider, and uh, hopefully everything will be wonderful. You were reconnoiting the ro- router. Reconnoitering <laughs> yes, the modem and the router. Yeah. Yes, reconnoitering yeah. the router. <laughs> yeah, it's a better alliteration that way. But. Have we <laughs> have we ever heard the word reconnoiter so many times in our lives as we have this like last week? <laughs> I had to look it up to see if it was a real word because I did not think it was a real word. They use it in the military a lot. Too. Yeah, I've only heard it in military terms. Yeah, yeah, I've not heard it from my husband so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Everybody was so quiet. I was ready to say, "Wait a minute, are you guys still there?" <laughs> Bring you up better, the Carol soundboard. Yeah, yeah. You better not drop out because uh, Matt and Nutty were hatching a murderous plot to kill anyone who messes this recording up. Oh no! Wow. No, we're just talking about Eido. It just sounded like a murder plot. That's all. <laughs> he yeah. is trying to be a shopkeeper, and it's not natural for him and it, and it shows in everything he does very true <laughs> at the gem no that i didn't mean i didn't mean that to sound uh no, I, I don't what, uh, make these pronouncements patronizing i'm very I'm, i i i apologize i sometimes get very um emphatic that's it uh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying i'm right everyone's wrong i'm just emphatic mm. all right <laughs> we all just don't want to fight <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to fight Nutty. I know, I know <laughs> You can disagree with me Put the swords away, Nutty It's not time yet <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when it's time I'm afraid to click on this one link <laughs> Oh my god Have you ever heard of Oh, now I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm gonna go Are you gonna bring Matt, up? Matt you, It's, you ever it's fiction called It's called it? Mother Son Fart Story Number One. <laughs> oh god <laughs> Have you guys ever, oh, this is going to be crass again, but have you guys ever heard of something called cake farts? Cake farts? Yes. No. (laughs) No. It's like this, well, it's basically like this porno, and it's like this girl, (laughs) she like sits on a cake, and then she like, there's close-ups of her butthole, and she just farts cake batter. Oh my god. 
I think that may have been referenced in the United States of Tara because the daughter's like sitting on cakes for people on webcam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently, there's also a sequel to I... Peanut Butter Farts. <laughs> so this this story. I want some nun farts now. It's about a mother and a son enjoying their flatulence. <laughs> They don't have to do it on the balcony. <laughs> a couple of more minutes had passed, and the two had arrived at the mall. As they pulled into a parking space, Stephanie felt a powerful bubbly sensation within her bowels. It had to release more gas into her seat. A hefty amount of gas. She pushed forth into her seat for a series of four farts, each lasting no more than five seconds, and creating several large plumes of flatulence to fill the car even more than it was already filled. Poof! Burf! Burf! Poof! Mom, Jason said, in a Jesus Christ kind of tone. And, and this is what's funny is at the end there's a comment from another person that says it's a fart story, but at the same time you pull off these psychologically deep moments. <laughs> I love your work. <laughs> I love your work. <laughs> did you guys ever hear the? Did you guys ever see the James Joyce uh, love letters that he wrote to his wife? No. It was all kinds of like yes, romantic like farting like I you know what was it like uh um, I love it when you fart in your underwear and crap like that. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how it is, but... We'll look up some. Uh, and this is why our podcast a, always goes three hours. We'll post, <laughs> we'll post a dramatic reading of uh, the James Joyce love letters on the Facebook group. <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to read some James Joyce love letters. Nora, my faithful darling, my sweet-eyed blackguard schoolgirl, be my whore, my mistress, as much as you like, my f- little frigging mistress, my little fucking whore. You are always my beautiful wild flower of the hedges, my dark blue rain-drenched flower. Uh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is dirty. It is. Oh my god. I hope Nora will let off no end of her farts in my face so that I may know their smell also. <laughs> All right. That is totally out of context. How is that? Like, what What goes before and after that? I'm so confused. This one. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that one. Oh, yeah. That's pretty bad. Oh, no. I can't yeah, even say no, that. I'll read I it. Can't, no. I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> you say you will shit your drawers, dear, and let me fuck you then. I would like to hear you shit them, dear, first, and then fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. Things I did not need to know about James Joyce. Okay, well, there's a, there's a whole funnier die skit where they get um they get Dave Foley to read like for Valentine's Day they get him to read from the letters. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, that's 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 I'm gonna be watching <laughs> that. God, I can, I'll, I'll, that I'll share. I'll contribute a quote oh from the mother son fart story number one. <laughs> Excuse me, miss, but we would like for you to leave. It reeks like eggs in here, and it is deterring all the customers away. <laughs> uh, Do you want me to read? Sorry this about the mess. The Mexican oh. goes right through me. <laughs> That's more than far. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Mel wants to read one more. I know you want oh, to Jesus. read this one. Oh. Okay, this is the last one. <clears throat> and every fuck I gave you, your shameless tongue come come bursting out through your lips. And if I gave you a bigger, stronger fuck than usual. 
fat, dirty farts came spluttering out of your backside. <laughs> you had an arse full of farts that night, darling, and I fucked them out of you. Big, fat bellows, <laughs> long, windy ones, quick little merry cracks, and a lot of tiny little naughty farties ending up in a long gush from your hole. Uh-uh. <laughs> Oh my word! I I have no words. <laughs> I just like that a lot of tiny little naughty farties. It makes yeah, makes the it farties sound, is my favorite. He makes it sound really cute. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> uh, makes me wonder what the purpose was of him writing this. T- to it was all the trying to get her hot. It was love letters. It was yeah. all love letters to one one. They woman. just had really really yeah. nasty kind of love affair. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess somehow this would none of this would uh, no. It's not your king. Was his wife. This is it's definitely this is like a whole Marquis de Sade thing going on here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just got a uh. fetish going on. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting. Well, it takes all types. Yeah. <laughs> so where were we? Where were we? Oh indeed? man. <laughs> Oh my god, that was three hour, three and, and a half you hours. Need, you need to sign up with your catchphrase, Mel. What? Which one? That's Natchez Branded. <laughs> <laughs> I've decided that's your new catchphrase. All right. Well, you already have it recorded. Just toss it in. Carol, you and I need need our own. <laughs> oh, I've never had a catchphrase. I'm not good. I have to think of something. Next time, I'll have to interrupt you with my catchphrase, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Carol should be the F word. She could use a... Uh, Not saying it, but saying the F word. <laughs> let's see the titties. Let's give a round of applause for Carol's new modem and router. For- Yay! Yay! Amazing! Yay! I'm so happy. <laughs> and I say we'll take the peppermint. And I say sassy for us. I say pep. And I say sass. <laughs> <laughs>